Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, friends. It's the Movie Boom Podcast. Podcast, enjoy the show. Jackie and Brian are talking about movies. Movie Boom Podcast on the radio. Welcome to a movie film commentary track. My name is Zaki Hassan, and I am here with Brian Hall. Hey, this is Brian Hall. Uh, uh, hi! Damn it, Brian, we rehearsed this. <laughs> You're dead weight, Brian. I did, dead weight. <laughs> so we haven't done a commentary in a little while, it feels like. Yeah, what was the last one? It was E.T. the Extraterrestrial. At the oh, start of the year. yes, yes, yes. We, we rung in the new year with your all-time favorite movie. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, well, it, it was the beginning of what will turn out to be a very busy year of commentaries for us because we have a multitude of anniversaries and whatnot that we wanted to acknowledge. And, uh, you know, the feedback to our previous commentaries has been generally very positive. So, <laughs> regardless, uh, we are here today, Brian, to mark the 10th anniversary of... The Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can't believe it. Ten years and and uh, uh, nineteen movies later, we are going to mark the release of Iron Man the First. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this when we get started. But who would have saw this coming? Let's put it that way. Thought? When you say nineteen films in ten years, and they're the you know the biggest movies of the year, I mean, no one saw that coming. No, so. no one, uh, but no one could possibly have seen that coming, including me, a lifelong Iron Man fan. I always say this, and people are like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm like, I started buying Iron Man comics when I was about 10 years old, uh, and I, I filled my collection in backwards uh, for the previous 10 years. And so even now, I have on my shelf uh, custom-bound uh, about uh, uh, 20 years' worth of Iron Man comics. Wow. Very cool. So, well, uh, you're the right man for this job. I, I may just be somebody who, who can offer a few bits of, of, of trivia. Let's see how that goes. But uh, we are queued up on each of our respective yep. ends, and uh, that sounded vaguely dirty. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It didn't but... even cross my mind, but yeah. <laughs> it's Get late. Get queued. <laughs> Zachy and Brian. On, on each of respective, respective ends. ends. <laughs> 
Uh, it's late. This is movie film after dark. Yes. This is punch drunk movie film. <laughs> so we are queued up. There's only one uh, version of, of Iron Man, which makes this easier. So uh, however you're watching it, there's only one version. So uh, we're at zero time code. So I will count down to three, after which I will hit play. So, uh, Brian, I'm I'm ready. Are you? Ready. So So after three, hit play. Ready? Okay. Yep. One... Two, three, play. Ah, stars and, coming at the earth. And and right right here we got the Paramount logo, which is kind of a novelty in front of these Marvel movies now. Yep. And the reason for that, of course, is that at the time Iron Man One came out, first of all, it was not called Iron Man One when it came out; it was just <laughs> called Iron Man. Uh, but it was an independent film. Right. So this is the first independently pr- produced movie by Marvel Studios. By Marvel Studios, yeah. by the brand new uh, Marvel Studios, which uh, had a line of credit. It was a $500 million line of credit to produce movies based on Iron Man, which if you were to say that, like we say that now, we're like, oh my gosh, easy money. Are you kidding me? <laughs> this was a huge gamble. At the right. time, because they literally put the characters up as collateral for this loan. So, had this film, as well as the Incredible Hulk, which came after it, had had uh, either of those two flopped right out the gate, and the Incredible Hulk was was wasn't a hit, but it wasn't a flop either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but had either of them uh, disappointed in in a meaningful way, that would have been it. There would be no Marvel Cinematic Universe. Wait, so yeah, uh, Hulk came out before this, right? No, Hulk was after this. Hulk was, oh, was uh, after the, this. Yeah, this was uh, the first weekend of May in in uh, 2008, and Hulk came out in uh, June. Now, I mean, I, I have to go up front here and, and say, like, these aren't movies that are baked into my brain um, as well. So I'm going to be leaning on Zachy a little bit and sort of enjoying this as a as a casual fan and, and gleaning all the knowledge that Zachy has rattling around up there in his noggin. But <laughs> with that in mind, so in Hulk, which I haven't seen in a while, uh, Robert Downey Jr. appears in that, right? He does. He has like yeah, a little it's, cameo. So they were already trying to tie him all together. And... They, they they already had that intention. And what's kind of interesting is that the Incredible Hulk film was released by Universal. So two right. different studios, two different studios released the movies, and 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 Universal still has uh, some some legal mumbo jumbo that allows them first dibs on any Hulk movie, which is why we're not going to see any Hulk movie in the foreseeable future. Right. Right. Now, before we travel too far down the Incredible Hulk rabbit hole, uh, let's just appreciate this amazing piece of casting here, which is Robert Downey as mm-hmm. Tony Stark. Uh, it's it's easy to take for granted 10 years later the utter ubiquity of, of Robert Downey in this role. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth recognizing what a tremendous, tremendous risk it posed for Marvel at the time. Mm-hmm. To the point that Marvel did not want him. Right. Uh, the original plan, uh, when John Favreau signed on to direct, which was uh, in in the, the the early part of 2006, was to have an unknown uh, play play Tony Stark. You know, so in other words, follow the Christopher Reeve playbook. Sure. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, Favreau just connected with Downey's take, and Downey himself professed to being a big fan of the comics. Uh, now Robert Downey at the time was really a joke. Like, like it's it's worth contextualizing. 
how utterly written off he was. Right. He was, I mean, he was a punchline on The Simpsons. There was a, Robert Smigel did a cartoon, remember Downey, Kidder, and Haish? <laughs> no. Do you remember this? No. Yeah, because if, if there was a brief period in like the early 2000s where Robert Downey was like most famous for drunkenly waking up in his neighbor's bed. And, right, like, right. Mar- Margot Kidder went a little cuckoo bananas and Anne Hayes had her bout of, of craziness. So right. they form a detective agency. <laughs> okay. Downey, Kidder, and Hayes. So, I mean, my point is that's what Robert Downey Jr. was at right. that moment in time. He was known as that amazingly talented actor who threw it all away. Right, right. And so he needed this role. Yeah, and he he had just had uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang before this, right? That's correct, yeah. So, Which was not a hit by any stretch, but, by although any it is stretch. a great movie. Indeed it is. Yeah, but uh, I wonder if that helped at all, you know, to, to show that he could get the work done. You know, get, I, I have to imagine that that definitely played a role, uh, but essentially it was John Favreau really mortgaging his own credibility on Robert Downey's behalf. Right. So in a very real sense, uh, Robert Downey owes his career uh, as presently constituted to John Favreau. Right. You know, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, literally, uh, uh Downey is the linchpin of this entire universe, which is is astonishing to me because, as I mentioned up top, I mean, I, I read Iron Man comics for most of my life. I I, I loved those comics, and I, I don't read the current books, but I, st- I love going back and reading those old issues. And Iron Man was always like a third-tier character. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, when you talk about, like, Marvel characters who were known to the the world at large, it was like Spider-Man and the Hulk after the X-Men cartoon, you could say Wolverine, Captain America, just because he's so recognizable. Mm-hmm. But it was like a deep cut to be like, who's this guy? Oh, that's Iron Man. So with all those things in mind, I mean, this is something you sort of uh, began to get at. But with what a gamble this was, didn't they put up as collateral the 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 rest of their IP? Basically, like that, that's characters. exactly right. It's like I said earlier. I mean, had any of these movies flopped in the in the early goings, it would have been curtains. They would have lost all the rights to their own characters. So, like, gambling on this third tier character played by an actor who is quote unquote washed up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's. I mean, it should not have worked. No, I mean, it feels like they had a time machine because otherwise, why in the world would you have? You yeah, and 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 what's interesting here is that. The Iron Man rights had been bouncing around the studios since, like, 1990. Mm. So they were at Universal for a little while. Then they went to 20th Century Fox for a little while. Then they went to New Line Cinema for a little while. So, I mean, wow. it was an in-demand character. And, and you know, I remember I remember very distinctly in 1997, early part of 97, uh, it was in the trades that Nicolas Cage was just a hop, skip, and a jump from playing Tony Stark. Wow. Think of that, uh, you know, in Superman, right? That's the other sort of famous almost. Yeah, well, well, he 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 decided not to do Iron Man in favor of Superman. Oh, really? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh, so, and and I remember very distinctly being like, "Wow!" Because again, as somebody who was reading the comics, I was like, "Oh!" And this was before Nicolas Cage sort of like full fully lapsed into self parody. Right, 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 right. So this is when he so, was kind of. Coming off of what, like Con Air, yeah, face off all that. This is this is like between Con, uh, uh, the Rock and Con Air. Okay, right. 
And so I'm like, oh, I can see that, you know, and not even like, eh, I don't know. I was like, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. I, I right? can, there's part of me that can kind of picture it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it would have been a very different characterization probably. Slightly more unhinged, but. Yes. <laughs> especially the stuff we're looking at now where he's sort of high rolling playboy eccentric guy. And you can kind of right. picture the cage version <laughs> of that. You can absolutely, and it's funny actually, because because over here, real quick, um, uh, that's Leslie Bibb as as uh, uh, Christine, the the reporter, and uh, she's currently dating uh, Sam Rockwell, right? And I believe they met on Iron Man Two. Oh, funny! Uh, so you know, yeah, and he, uh, the, if IMDb is to be, be believed, Sam Rockwell was someone else in contention for Iron Man. Yes, that's right, and and I can I can totally see that version too. Yeah, same. You know? yeah. By the way, the, in the scene that we just uh, watched here, uh, at the moment when they announce Tony Stark's name and he's not there, uh, the music that you hear playing, and it's kind of like this big band version, it's actually uh, a big band orchestration of the theme from the 1960s Iron Man cartoon show. Oh, funny. The lyrics of which were, Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. Nice. I don't know if I know that's, that song. That, that's from my head. <laughs> oh, I see. I was like, huh? <laughs> no, I mean it's a real song, but I like I had it memorized. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I like. There's useful things I don't know because I have that in there. Right. Leslie Bibb, by the way, she, first time I ever saw her was on a TV show on uh, the WB called Popular. Uh, yeah, that rings a bell. Rings a bell. Another one of those. One of those WB shows. Yeah, I remember her most from uh, Talladega Nights. Ah, yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so here's our first look at at Tony Stark's palatial pad. Here, mm-hmm. uh, we're also uh, introduced, or we will be in just a moment, to Jarvis. <clears throat> right. The the computer Jarvis. Now, kind of interesting here. Jarvis is voiced by Paul Bettany. Now, in the comics, Jarvis is not a computer. Jarvis is, in actuality, Tony Stark's butler. He's a real guy. Yeah, kind of like his Alfred. Name is, he's, well, that's exactly right. His name is Edwin Jarvis, and they made the decision to make him an AI because they didn't want that Alfred comparison. Interesting. And so what uh, with Vision and all those things to come, I mean, how did that work in that comic then with him not being an uh, AI? It's just, it's just uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something the movies invented out of a whole cloth, the idea that the Vision is a product of Tony oh, Stark. Oh, how funny. That, that, yeah, you know, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, the, the character of Ultron was actually created by Hank Pym, mm-hmm. um, n- not Tony Stark. But, I mean, at the films, given that Tony Stark really is the, the, the hub up from which all the other spokes emanate, it made sense to make him the creator of Ultron. Right. But that was something that the movies did, yeah. That's cool. See, this is great. I'm like resident Marvel dummy. And uh, <laughs> also kind of interesting actually cuz the character of Edwin Jarvis, the 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 real guy, they actually incorporated him into the TV series Agent Carter. Mm. Uh because because Howard Stark was uh, played by uh, Dominic uh what's the guy's name? Dominic West, right? Is it, no, not Dominic West. Uh, the, who's the guy, you know? Dominic is, Cooper? No. Dominic Cooper. There, yeah. There's like 10 Dominics we yeah. go down the list. <laughs> Dominic Cooper, who plays the young Howard Stark, his butler is Edwin Jarvis. So uh, they made. Okay. And so the idea is that the, the Bettany AI is an homage to um, to the real Jarvis. 
That's pretty cool. And I also read that uh, Paul Bettany recorded all of his dialogue in two hours and made a lot of money and went on with his life. <laughs> yeah, he he was a little bit upset when 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 uh, Vision came into being because it required a lot more work on his part. Yeah. <laughs> you know. By the way, the the uh, the Jarvis uh, AI is as an acronym, and it stands for this is true. Just a rather very intelligent system. Uh, which is strictly a, a, a movie thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. So that's, that's, I believe that was coined by, uh, Peter David who's a comic book writer, but he wrote the novelization, uh, of Iron Man. Oh, really? Yeah. How oh, funny. So, so here we have the, uh, the introduction of the banter between Pepper played by Gwyneth Paltrow and, and Tony Stark. And this, I think, I think it speaks to something about, uh, how how consistently solid the casting is in all of these Marvel films that we forget what a big deal it is to look at the cast of this film, mm-hmm. right? Gwyneth Paltrow, Terrence Howard, who at the time was the biggest name in the cast because hmm. he had just come off uh, an Oscar nomination for uh, Hustle and Flow. Yeah, hard out here for and a he pimp. Had- that's right, and he actually got paid uh, more than than Robert Downey. Really? Yes, which is I think part of the reason why he he was not invited back for any of the sequels. Because he kept wanting to be treated as number one on the call sheet. Uh, th- that I'm not sure of. I I do know that or like number one, I should say. Yeah, I, well, I I I would imagine that the the, the studio people realized that Robert Downey was the guy who they really who was indispensable right so he got a sizable jump up salary wise from movie one to movie two and i would guess it had to come from somewhere yeah so they probably wanted terrence howard to take a cut yeah you know and and uh, i don't know how thrilled he would have been with that now i i don't i don't mind terrence howard as an actor but i will say i prefer don Cheadle in the role of of james rhodes yeah i i agree with that I wonder how much of that is just because we've sort of gotten used to, uh, you know, just used to seeing. Spent more time with him, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um... But it's 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 interesting because the characterization of Tony Stark in this film is so heavily reliant on Robert Downey's own persona. Like I, yeah. I think people don't really realize how different the Tony Stark of the movies is from the way he was in the comics. So so yeah. So how so? Uh, well, th- this notion of of sort of the the his his mouth is moving a mile a minute and he's constantly wisecracking and stuff. I mean, that's Robert Downey. That's not Tony Stark. Hmm. So it and that's another. Be, it has come to be Tony Stark. Yes. Has that affected the comics? M- from what I see, again, I can't speak to any great. Uh, expertise about the current books, but my sense is that they sort of retrofitted the character to to be Robert Downey. And why the hell wouldn't you, right? Sure, yeah. Of course you would. But well, yeah. uh, Iron Man, certainly when I was growing up, he was always the straight-laced, straight-ahead, you know, not not the snarky guy, right? You turned to Spider-Man for the, the one-liners. Right. And it wasn't, that reminds me, at one point, wasn't Tom Cruise also being considered for this? Yeah, so so after uh, the the Nicolas Cage thing, you know, phased out, uh, uh, t- they went to Tom Cruise, and he actually he was interested, and he wanted to produce the film. Also, this is when it landed in, at New Line Cinema, mm. and um, 
if if you look at uh, the the Marvel comics of like 2004, they they restarted Iron Man, and the art who, by by this kind of photorealistic art by a guy named Adi Granov, who actually was one of the did he did concept art for the movie, but it's clearly Tom Cruise that he's drawing, hmm. as Tony Stark, like clear as day. That's funny. Now, well, I mean, do we want to save that for later then? There's other people, right, who have been uh, drawn to certain likenesses in the comics then. Yeah, I guess we can we can hold that for a little while. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, we, we were talking about salary. I mean, just okay, to put this fun. in perspective, uh, Robert Downey got uh, half a million dollars for the first Iron Man. Wow. 500000 Wow. And then now with, I don't know, back end and whatever the heck he gets – these days I mean, the, he just millions owns and millions and pieces of earth at the like, yeah. they just give him they give him countries you know yeah he he's got australia on layaway right now well so that was a good good play yeah i mean because he was such an insurance risk they gave him half a million dollars i mean that's astonishing not even one million you know <laughs> but for it's iron in, man 2 he got 10 million dollars oh wow okay so just so, between one and two just movie one and two, so a huge leap. And then by the time we got to Avengers, I think with when you factor everything in, it was something like fifty million dollars. That is just crazy, and it's it's interesting too. We know that Marvel means a certain caliber now, yes. But at the time, you know, just to to approach Robert Downey Jr., who, like you said, didn't have probably a lot of cachet himself, but like, I don't know. It's like, uh, do you want to play a superhero? That's not something that I think everyone would have leaped at, especially these sort of caliber actors. Yeah. Even 10 years ago, even though Christopher Nolan's stuff, I guess, might have been helping elevate the. Uh, yeah. The I mean, Batman then. Begins was just three years before this. Yeah. Oh, this is the same year as The Dark Knight. I forgot. It, it is. I mean, it was a heck yeah, of a oh, year yeah. for, uh, quote unquote, credible comic book movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because because there was serious talk of, oh, Robert Downey should get an Oscar nomination for this film. Right. Just as there was serious talk of of Dark Knight should be nominated for Best Picture, you know, which I can't imagine he would have thought when he was signing on to this. It wasn't like part of the decision making yeah. process. Yeah, you know, I mean, again, as I mentioned earlier, by all accounts, he was a fan. Uh, I have no idea how true that is, but I have no reason to think otherwise. You know. Yeah. Well, and you also got a great uh, director, though, John Favreau. And and Favreau, I mean, when when you look at the stuff he did before this as a director there's no reason to assume that he could knock it necessarily out of the park right right uh, like not to say he's a bad director but you know what i mean like what did he do before this he did zathura which is like fine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like a jumanji as thing and then as a director before that he did uh, made right which i love <laughs> which is great right but but neither of those movies no would lead one to think that you know he could start a superhero universe. And, and I, I, you know, I interviewed John Favreau a few years ago for chef and, and I talked to him about, about that, about, I was like, you know, the, the MCU is this thing and it's just all encompassing. I mean, could you have imagined when you were doing that first movie, what it would turn into? And and he's like, nobody did. Of course not. You know, like he, he's, he said that, that, uh, it, it felt like you were making like a student film. It was so, low budget and kind of, you know, even though they had about $150 million to make this, but Marvel was, was famously nickel and diming their, their filmmakers at that time before the Disney acquisition. Mm-hmm. Huh. 
Right. And, and, um, what essentially happened is, is as it turned into this big thing, he said he feels like that great, great grandma who like came over to Ellis Island and then there's like <laughs> generations of children that don't even know that know her, but they're all there because of her, you know, that's, that's pretty funny, you know, now, now over here, these, these terrorists here, uh, first of all, that, that actor right there is Sean Tube and I, I really like the performance he gives here, mm-hmm. uh, just very understated, and I really like the the relationship he forms with with with, uh, with Stark in this. But uh, the the terrorism angle was added in because the the character, as originally conceived, was uh, his origin was in Vietnam. Mm, okay, right. So obviously, you, I mean, you can't make it a period movie. So they they had to update it. And Afghanistan was the most relevant conflict at the time. But I. Uh, appreciate the fact that they didn't specifically make them Muslim terrorists, mm. even though I mean, obviously, they are m- m- Muslish. You know, <laughs> <laughs> coming to ABC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, what? What? Certainly for me. No, for sure. I totally understand what you're saying. I'm uh, what I what uh, what I didn't want was a lot of like by the beard of the prophet and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. You know what I mean? And and I like that that uh, the the terrorist organization here is called the Ten Rings. Now, uh, if you follow Iron Man comics, uh, the the arch enemy of Iron Man is the Mandarin, who we see a version of him in the third movie, but mm-hmm. he is known for having 10 rings that he wears on each of his fingers, each of which has a magic power. Mm-hmm. And so what the movie was doing very obliquely was laying pipe for them to introduce the Mandarin. And Favreau said as much, actually, he said the originally when asked, who's the villain going to be, he said, Oh, it's going to be the Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they changed gears for whatever reason. But uh, I like that the characters say that, Oh, the 10 rings, like they're not, like some of them speak this language, some of them speak this language. Like it's meant to be this kind of international organization, and it's not—it's not like Iron Man versus the Taliban or something right, like that. Right. And that's a subtle thing that I think makes the movie a little bit more timeless. Yes, definitely. You know. Yeah. So and, well, then. And, oh, good. No, I was just saying, and 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 I mean, right here, what we see with. Uh, the, uh, by the way, worth mentioning here, Ferran Tahir as as the leader of the the bad guys, the bald guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character's name is Raza. He's a. I, I just think he's such a great presence. He's really charismatic. Oh yeah, um, you know. Uh, but sorry, you were saying. Well, no, I was just going to say yeah. So as as a fan, I mean, how does this? This is the first time we're seeing a movie represent Iron Man's origins. I mean, do you feel like this? Uh, does this follow pretty closely? I mean, is there, I mean, you just sort of said they updated the timeline and so, and whatnot, but, uh, I don't know. How do you feel of this as an origin film? Well, as a fan, comic fan. And it's funny because, uh, you know, we talk about this being the first time they've depicted Iron Man's origin. I mean, it's the first time they've depicted Iron Man, period. Right. Right. And, and that was also by by the way, part of the reason, uh, Marvel went with Iron Man as their first one out the shoot because he had not been depicted in live action ever mm-hmm. unlike the hulk unlike captain america unlike thor every other character uh, that they were pondering for that first batch had there had been a version of right uh so for me personally one thing i, I, I said this uh 
about Spider-Man, the, the Sam Raimi one, and I say it about, I said it about this. I'm like, the best thing I can say about it is I knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm, mm-hmm. And I mean that in the sense of like, it was like watching the comic I had read. See that that's exactly what I was I was wondering. So that's that's great. Yeah, yeah, and and you know it's different enough. It's not a chapter and verse translation because, like I said, they updated the setting and stuff. But they got the meat of it. They got the the, the you know the really important character beats they got, and the idea being that you know I think I think what Stan Lee really figured out early on. Uh, as the thing to make these Marvel characters work is that they have to be flawed, right? They're not perfect heroes like the DC characters were at the time. Uh, They have some kind of flaw, and Tony Stark's flaw is his own Mm self-confidence, right? And and what what what's this was something Stan Lee came up with back then was that he, he needs this device that allows him to live, right? And he, he didn't have an arc reactor. He, he made it like the entire breastplate of the armor. Tony Stark has to wear it mm-hmm. uh, to keep the shrapnel from, from killing him or whatever. But, I mean, it's that's this basic thing that humanizes him. The idea of the arc reactor, though, which we see right there uh, that he's working on, uh, that's that's an invention of the movie, and it's so it's hmm. so brilliant. Yeah. You know? It's it's so um, simple and understated, but present and understandable. Well, it's the the beauty of it is that it's 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 your sci-fi technology that allows us to buy everything else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because could an armor like that exist and work in real life? Probably not. But oh, he's got the arc reactor. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Well, there's yeah. no such thing as an arc reactor. What does it even mean? I don't yeah. know. Uh, flux capacitor. It's uh, what yeah, makes you know? time travel possible. <laughs> it you know it reminds me of like on on the Star Trek shows in the in the 80s and 90s they would have a science advisor go through the script and and add like uh, terminology to make it all make sense. Mm-hmm. And so they would write the script and it would literally be like when there's when the characters are solving the problem it'd be like if we tech the tech then it just might work. <laughs> And then they would hand it to the technical advisor, and you'd have to fill in whatever the tech is here and the tech is there. You know, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> and and the thing with the arc reactor is, and it's going to become you know more prominent later in the film, is it perfectly illustrates to us how staggeringly intelligent Tony Stark is, mm-hmm. because this is something only he could have come up with. You know, and and that's that's really important, right? Because because I think the ding on Iron Man is, oh well, he's just it's just a suit. Mm-hmm. Oh, all the gadgets in the, are in the suit. The powers are in the suit. Yeah, but the powers are in Tony Stark's head. Right, right. You know, like yeah, anybody can wear the suit, but only one person can be Iron Man. Right. And I I think that's an important distinction. You know. It's it's interesting too. Going back to when you were saying uh, Mandarin was going to be. The villain. I was reading that John Favreau was nervous putting him in the movie because, yes, understandably, yeah, because there's like a supernatural element, and so the way that he approached it was to just put him in the background. And he said that he used Star Wars as a reference, where first you're introduced to Darth Vader, and you get this sort of build up, and by Return of the Jedi, you can start shooting lightning out of people's fingers. Yeah, and I thought that was a really, I completely understood that, and I was like, that's a really smart way to approach it. Yeah, I mean, a, a part of me kind of wishes that, 
I mean, obviously, once Favreau departed the franchise after the second one, you know, they went their own way with the Shane Black in the third one. Uh, and I think, you know, the way they ended up going, I'm fine with that too. But uh, I would have liked to see have seen the way Favreau intended to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, that both the first and the second film involve Iron Man squaring off against another armor-wearing guy. Right. And, you know, it it does feel a little bit repetitive. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen two since the theater. I don't remember it well at all. No, how funny. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that you just did like a big rewatch, right? I yeah, I'm I'm as we are recording this, I'm in I'm winding down a massive multi-month MCU rewatch <laughs> with my kids. Yeah. And and you know, worth mentioning here, you know, the first Iron Man came out in 2008. My oldest was 1 year old. Oh wow! Right, huh. and so for my kids, I, I was telling one of my classes earlier today. For my kids, the MCU has just been a fact of their lives. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, you kids, you don't you don't realize back in our day, you know, we had to walk uphill both ways to get you know. <laughs> We we watched Howard the Duck and we liked it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. I was gonna say yeah, like Batman and Robin. It's all we had. <laughs> That's all we had. Yeah, now, but uh, man, so I, I didn't even think about that. Trying to marathon these things. I remember like growing up, people would marathon the Star Wars movies, and it was like three movies in one afternoon. Can it be done? You know, it, right. With enough pizza and Mountain Dew. But <laughs> <laughs> now it's like this is a nineteen film marathon. Yeah, we've been doing uh, one a week, give or take. Um, so we're basically down to our last, uh, last two. Wow. Now, now, uh, Ferran Tahir here, here, um, he also appeared in, in, uh, Star Trek, the 2009 movie as, uh, Captain Robow. Of the yeah. Kelvin. I thought he looked familiar. Alongside, uh, uh, the future Marvel, uh, superhero, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. So, so ev- everything comes back to Marvel at some point. Yeah, this is yeah. slightly unrelated, but I was just with uh, a quiet place in theaters right now with John Krasinski. You know, he's doing a lot of press, and he said, talked about his experience uh, almost being Captain America. He was almost Captain America, yeah. Yeah, and he talked about being, you know, at some place in the Captain America suit. And at one point, he saw Chris Hemsworth dressed as Thor walk down the hallway and went, This is ridiculous. I am not Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember because because Chris Evans sort of came out of left field because everything was pointing towards Krasinski. Hmm. And then at the last second, it's like, no, looks like it's going to be Chris Evans. And I remember being like, Chris Evans, really? Hmm. Not another teen movie, Chris Evans? <laughs> right. And, and now I feel like a friggin' jackass for thinking that because, yeah, I so mean, perfect. all of these actors have just taken such ownership of these roles. Yeah. You know, I mean, when when we when we look at Robert Downey here, the question becomes: Can there ever be anyone else who can play this role? I don't even know. I don't. Even, yeah. I mean, yes, there will be, but yeah, at some point. Yeah, it's just yeah. These people are so baked, and because we've into our consciousness, but like we, because we've seen them so many times. Like I mean, it's been yes. drilled into us, so it'd be really much like uh, Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. I mean, we've. Spent so much time with him as that character; it's hard to picture anyone else. Yeah, and and very similar. I I think that uh, now, what with the Infinity War movies, uh, Robert Downey has a very comfortable 
record for most times playing a superhero character. But, but uh, I mean, Hugh Jackman had that record until just recently. Wow. Who wrote this? Uh, this is a, if I'm not mistaken, it's, hold on, let me pull up the names. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I have a computer, what am I doing? <laughs> Hawk, oh, there's like a lot of credits here. Yeah, it's, if, if Fergus was one of the names. Yeah, Mark Fergus, Hawk Osby. That sounds right, Art yeah. Markham and Matt Holloway. Hmm. I'm sure this is one that saw many, 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 many writers. <laughs> Now, now this uh, the picture of of uh, uh, Tony Stark sort of hammering the thing that we just saw yeah. here. That was the very first still they released of mm. Robert Downey, like the first official still. I feel like I remember that actually. Yeah, and and you know, growing up, it was me and my brother. We were huge Iron Man fans, so I I got into Iron Man because of him, and I just remember sending him that picture, being like, "Dude," you know? <laughs> because again, it's like that's Tony Stark, you know? Yeah. And it, it's it, it's I I'm I'm probably gonna hit the same beat again and again, but it's like it would never even occur to me that one day we'd get an Iron Man movie, like we'd be seeing Tony Stark yeah. on the big screen, <laughs> you know. Now is this whole thing the, depicted in the comics here with him in the cave with the scientists and everything? Very similar, yeah. The Mark One armor that we see here is very very similar to the very first armor that was designed by by Jack Kirby. Um, you know, it it was. I mean, it's a little bit more in here. It's more like hydraulic and pistons and everything else. In in the in his very first comic book appearance in the early '60s, it just looked like a big, bulky, like he was wearing a you know a stovepipe or something. Right, right, right. But it, very similar. Mm-hmm. Like this looks like a worthy translation of that original design. But this moment specifically, this is part of his origin here. This this whole thing is here, yeah. The uh, I mean, not like the computer booting up his suit, but right. the idea that he needs more time. So Yin Sen, Yin Sen, who is like, I mean, that's it's an Asian name, right? Mm-hmm. So the character is Asian in the comic. Gotcha. Um, and he sacrifices himself, and and this whole thing here, I you know, I think it's it's a the the tension and everything is great, but you know, I was mentioning the relationship that he forges with Yin Sen here. Uh, you know, there's a great bit here where he's just like, you need more time. I'm going to give you more time. Mm. And and we as the audience are like, oh, no, like we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? But I really like the way it plays out for Tony Stark. And we'll, I'll mention that as, as we get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, look at the way Favreau stages all this. You know, I mean, it's the Richard Donner think fair similitude aesthetic yeah i i'm just watching this with the sound off i'm getting kind of swept up in it here <laughs> yeah i mean, I mean in, maybe this is just for the benefit of hindsight but it's like the Mar- the marvel universe needed to start with this uh-huh it needed to start at this ground level movie that sort of uh, not even really a superhero movie more like a techno thriller you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well this is and just then, so relatable and like just just slightly outside of the realm of possibility. You know what I mean? Like the way yes. that it's portrayed portrayed. And then you can get to the point where he has a hundred suits flying around and you're just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's funny how that works. Yeah. But this, we, this the... has the solid, uh, the rock solid foundation that you can get to that. You need this first, and, like you're saying. And it's, it's interesting, right? Because, because, you know, we're at a point now and you and I have talked about this before where like, 
we have like not even superhero burnout, but like superhero origin burnout. Mm. And I think part of that is because specifically the tropes from this origin have been repurposed a, a multitude of times. Sure. You know, we saw them attempt uh, this a little bit with Green uh, Air, uh, Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. You know, and then even even uh, uh, Doctor Strange has you know it's the cocky jackass. Yeah, yeah. Who learns a lesson? You know. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> you know, we, and I mean, I like Doctor Strange. I think it does it well. But that was my concern going into Doctor Strange was, it, you know, was was the fact that. The idea of him being a cocky jackass, that's more Doctor Strange than Tony Stark. Mm. You know, because because Tony Stark in the comics is think think like Howard Hughes as played by Errol Flynn, you know? Mm. Oh, okay. Like that you know, or th- think of like not even and not even Errol Flynn. Think of like like Timothy Dalton in The Rocketeer. Right, right. That's actually about where Which has Howard Hughes in it, actually. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, in, in more reading up, uh, I didn't want to divert too much, but in, in reading up, I saw where Stan Lee was talking about being, you know, fascinated with Howard Hughes and all his personality quirks and whatnot and the yeah. phases of his life. And that's something else I've kind of noticed, right? Where you had the Martin Scorsese, Howard Hughes movie, Spielberg wanted to make one, Christopher Nolan's obsessed with making one. I'm like, wow, it just seems like a certain generation is riveted with just Howard Hughes. Loves Howard Hughes. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Maybe this is maybe this is just me. Maybe this is you too. But when I think of Howard Hughes, I think of Terry O'Quinn. Oh, absolutely. Right? He, he created the jetpack that got in the Nazis' hands. Tell him Howard <laughs> we had to keep Hughes it out of their said hands. so. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Tell him Howard Hughes said so. <laughs> yeah. Tell him the dream is dead. Tell him Howard Hughes said so. Uh, I, just, that's, I, that was, I, I didn't know who Howard Hughes was back then. No, man. same. It's great, though. <laughs> yeah, so this right here, uh, this is just a, I mean, right after he, like, smacks down Reza over here. But this moment, and I I, I mentioned this earlier during my rewatch, right? It's, uh, it's, it's an incredibly poignant moment. I think it's one of the best character beats in the entire MCU, hmm. this right here, where he's like, come on, we're, we're, we're getting out of here. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet my family. You know, my family's mm-hmm. dead. I'm I'm about to see them or something, something to that effect. But for me, the fact that it's a Muslim guy who told Tony Stark not to waste his chance at life and to be a hero. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the entire MCU happened because of a Muslim guy saving Tony Stark's life. Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's great. I just love that, you know? Yeah, no, this is really. But right there, he says, "Thank you for saving me." He didn't. He didn't. He saved his soul. Yeah, that's what I love about that. Like it's, 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 and and this is something Robert Downey uh, alluded to in his grasp of the character. Right, he's been in a bubble this whole life, mm-hmm. and so he's 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 been he's like the the you know the. Uh, this gifted child who has no concept of what the things he's doing are actually what the end result of that is. Right. Yeah. Those are nice touches and, that we've passed already, but where he sees like the, that bomb that lands right in front of him at the beginning of the film and it has his name yeah. on it. Yeah. So yeah. his, he literally, his own life is at risk because of his, of his own weapons. Right. I mean, it's to me that 
origin is so great. It's a weapons designer whose weapons are used against him, and then he realizes he has to change his life. I mean, that's that to me is as perfect an origin as you know, Spider-Man didn't stop the guy because uh, he was selfish, and then the guy killed his uncle. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, right, it, right. In, instant karma, you know. Yeah, and here it's he is like destroying all his story. own weapons. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, so this right here, uh, the these uh, Iron Man suits were designed by Stan Winston. Stan Winston. This was the last film, right, that he worked on. The, this, um, he did some work on Terminator Salvation, also. Okay. Yes. Uh, but but that came out after he passed away, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and essentially, the the suits were realized with a mix of practical. And like rubber suits, and then digital. Hmm. And I think it says something about the effects in this film, in particular, where you—I don't think you can tell from shot to shot which is which. I mean, this. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I was the wondering, probably CG, but the way yeah. I was wondering if uh, I'd be able if if this movie would look a little rough, being the oldest one. But so far, so good. It really doesn't. I almost uh, equate it to something like Jurassic Park. Mm. Where, you know, that first Jurassic Park, they were being so careful that every shot still looks immaculate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the the other ones are a little dodgier. Yeah, but careful, probably a lot of careful planning. and Yeah. Yeah. You know, Robert Downey got cut for this movie, by the way. We should. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he at the gym. I mean, you can you can see it. Put in the work. Well, something I want to go back to that you had mentioned was the. Uh, the banter and all his quips and whatnot. Now, so th- that was another one of those things, right? Where this movie started, where the script wasn't done. Yeah, they they had the plot worked out, right? But essentially, Favreau, I I don't I think it's less about like oh we're unprepared. I think he trusted his cast's ability to to pull out dialogue, right? And isn't that was that this one where Downey Jr. was saying that they would literally take pages and throw them away and just be like, hey, we'll figure this out? That, that was this one. And I think part of that is because you put Robert Downey and Jeff Bridges in a scene together and you say, hey, do this. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. I mean, you're going to get something right worthwhile, you know? Yeah, as long as you hit I the I like this the little beat right here, where, right there, where, where Rhodey just embraces him like that. Yeah. It's a nice little thing that that drives home the friendship that they have. And that's one thing that I do kind of wish we could have seen play out with the same actor. Right. Uh, You know, we're we're, I I I, one of the things I really do like in the future MCU movies is the way we have seen the roadie relationship. And that is something pretty important from the comics um, that I'm glad they've kept. But. I don't know. I I go. I bounce back and forth between feeling bad for Terrence Howard and being like, "Well, it's probably for the best." <laughs> right, right, right. Sure. Now, the character of Pepper in the comics, she was his. She was his secretary, and she was his love interest for a little while. But uh, you know, to, uh, the, the Tony Stark uh, was. You know, he would have these internal monologues, and this is like a Stan Lee. Uh, tradition where like all of his characters would have these internal monologues where it's like uh, I love her I need to tell her but how can she love me I have to wear this iron heart or whatever mm. you know. <laughs> excuse me and he would always do that so like 
Matt Murdock as Daredevil. Like, I love her, but how can she love me? <laughs> how can she love a blind man? You know, right. or whatever. There's actually one issue of uh, of X Men where <laughs> where it's like like Jean Grey is telling Professor Xavier, like Professor, you have to be careful or something like that, and his thought bubble's like, Yes, I must be careful because I love you. I love you. You know. <laughs> It's really funny, and it's one of those things now where you're like, ew, you know, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you know. But but I in the comics, you do that over and over. <laughs> <laughs> How can she love me, a blind man? Like it's always, it's very funny because yeah. Stanley definitely had like a thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, hey, right here, this is a big first appearance of uh, Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson. Yeah. Now, I have to say, right here, where he's like, Strategic Homeland Intervention Logistics Division, this is what a dork I am. I'm like, S.H.I.E.L.D., S.H.I.E.L.D., he's part of S.H.I.E.L.D., oh. S.H.I.E.L.D., S.H.I.E.L.D. And, I'm, <laughs> That's and I remember watching it, because I watched it opening weekend with you and, and with our friend Sean. Yep. And I was like, I, I was like, I can't, I don't know if these guys, you know, I was like, well, I, Sean probably would have, but I wasn't going to be like, dude, 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 you know? Yeah. But you were right next to me. You wouldn't have got it. No, I, you didn't <laughs> get it. <laughs> but uh that's funny um yeah no so i i mentioned uh, uh pepper so she was originally T- tony stark's love interest and then eventually they drifted apart and tony stark sort of went from you know girl to girl and she in the comics ended up marrying happy hogan who is ah. his bodyguard played by uh john favreau himself mm-hmm. that's now, a fun touch uh, the putting himself of... in there say, say again that's kind of a fun touch for him to do for himself. It is, I mean, and he's, he's a great uh, choice for that role because because Happy Hogan is like this this uh, former boxer, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see you know Favreau basically played that role in Made. Yeah, right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but so here the character of Obadiah Stane. Now the idea of making Obadiah Stane uh, Tony Stark's uh, uh, mentor and his his father's friend that's new. That's something that the movie invented. Oh. Uh, in the comics, he was—he uh, essentially was a competing industrialist who took over Stark Industries in like a hostile takeover. Okay. And Tony Stark. One of the recurring things in the comics has been Tony Stark's alcoholism. Right. Um, so there was a there was a storyline in in uh, uh, I want to say the late seventies called Demon in a Bottle, where he succumbs to alcoholism, and he he ends up. Uh, uh, he recovers from that, but then he he re relapses when when Stain takes over his company. So in the comics for a while, we had Tony Stark recovering from his his uh, bout with alcoholism, and and Jim Rhodes took over as Iron Man. Hmm. Um, so was that heavy idea- for back then? It's kind of, it kind of is right. Yeah, uh, I mean, that was, was that fairly- something like that? Would that have been common? Like that just feels like such a real world tragic thing. Well, what what you saw in the '70s was a drive towards, uh, uh, I guess you would say, relevance. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, you had Green Arrow's sidekick become a drug addict, and you had, you know, like hmm. there, there was the, wow. because because what happened in the '70s was a lot of the old guard of writers was gradually retiring and drifting away, and you had these new younger writers in their early to mid twenties who who wanted these stories to reflect sort of their own. Uh, concept of the world sure 
So you saw a drive towards that. So so uh, Denny O'Neill, who who was writing Iron Man at the time, he introduced this idea of Tony Stark being an alcoholic, which is still part of his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of interesting with the films, they've not gone into that at all. With maybe the exception of like, there's a scene in Iron Man Two where he's having a party and he kind of gets shit faced. Yeah, I remember that being a thing when uh, two around there, people were wondering if uh, the the demon in a bottle story was going to be something That's they correct. went for. Yeah, and 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 per John Favreau, and I I think he's right by the way, but he said number one, he said like Hitch, uh, uh, not Hitchcock, <clears throat> Hancock already did that. The idea of like a drunk superhero. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I forgot, I forgot uh, about that. That was part of which is like, remember Hancock? Nobody remembers Hancock. Yeah, right? by Vince Gilligan, by the way, of Breaking Bad. Is that right? Yep. He wrote it? Yep. Oh, how funny. I didn't know that. Wow, that's really funny. Um, but I think more than that, it by then, uh, Disney had purchased Marvel. And I don't think sure. Disney was in a hurry to have a, an alcoholic superhero. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think, I mean, again, I, I, I think, I don't know, I don't know how much of a hurry Robert Downey would have been in to play that, given sure. the parallels with his own life, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, his recklessness is still evident. Yeah, he's, he's, the, the Tony Stark of the screen is flawed enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> without adding yet more vices. You know, he's like a sex addict, and he's a this, and he's a that. You know, yeah. Now that right here, we notice how we stay on that arc reactor for an extra second. Yeah, a little, little bit of planting the seed for what's going to be happening later. <laughs> this friggin' guy, Jim Cramer, he just pisses me off every time I see him. <laughs> oh, you really? You, you, you don't appreciate I, his subtle approach to I, markets. <laughs> <laughs> I just re- I just remember him being on John Stewart's show, and John Stewart's just like, "Why are you ruining this country?" Or something like that. You know? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. John Stewart wasn't a fan. Now, now Gwyneth Paltrow, her she she did dye her hair reddish for mm-hmm. this, but it, it's 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 funny how, like at the time, she was a pretty big name. But I mean, I think she kind of needed this movie because I don't know how much of a draw she was at the time this movie came out like on her own. I mean, yeah, she was kind of like the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands thing, right? Like the Miramax person. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm thinking of movies like, what was that duet? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, sliding doors and exactly. So now she's in a cool movie. Yeah, exactly. And, and she really, uh, you know, maybe, we can say it's unfortunate, but she's kind of the archetypal Marvel leading lady, which is to say she's just kind of there to mm, like support, be supportive yeah. of her man. By the way, is, is uh, what she's helping him replace this reactor here? Yes. Uh, I was like, what the heck is up with that guy? Uh, Junior's chest here. I'm like, oh, it's not real. there's like got to be a prosthetic chest there so they can yeah it's it's pretty clearly i mean it's not terrible but i was drawn to like here yeah you can kind of from the side yeah from the side you can see that it's it's like he's sticking up his neck is sticking up yeah 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 do you see you, you see what i'm saying yeah yeah no yeah like if you're paying attention, it you can tell that everything below his neck is a prosthetic. Yeah, kind of Pretty smart well to throw though. that big flash of light on it, by the way, because then it yeah makes it 
it doesn't have to look natural because you're sort of washing a lot of it out. Right. <laughs> and again, I you know, th- th- we really like one thing that I appreciate uh, having just rewatched this recently is the efficiency of the script. I mean, everything they put in there is seeding something that's going to be important later. Mm-hmm. I mean, this right here, the the previous arc reactor, she swaps it out for the sake of his his new upgraded one. And then she's like, oh, uh, you know, do you want to keep it? And he's like, no, no, just throw it away, right? Which gives you an insight into his personality. Um, but then, you know, she does like, she mounts it for him and puts it a little there. And so you're like, oh, it's an insight into her personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But even then, like, it's still going to have story significance later on. Yeah. So every, like, that's the, you know, that's that's the beauty of story construction where you don't see all the pieces working until you think about it later. You're like, oh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's smart. <laughs> There's that natural Downey Jr. chest. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Destroy it. Incinerate it. I can, like, hear this in his voice as I read the close captions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely uh, this set the tone for, for his portrayal. And, I mean, it. It's. I think that goes to how just consistent the character has been because, you know, most of the dialogue and stuff, you, you have to just imagine it's him riffing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. There's a very funny... A bit in in Captain America: Civil War when he first goes to meet um, Tom Holland as Spider Man, where um, I guess Tom Holland like forgot the blocking of their scene. So so Tom Holland is on the bed and Tony Stark's supposed to walk over and Tom Holland like there's supposed to be enough room for 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 Tony Stark to sit down and and his leg was there. So so Robert Downey doesn't break character. He's just like. I'm going to want to sit there, so so you should move your leg. <laughs> and it's just, that's a Tony Stark line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was actually trying to get this kid to get the blocking. <laughs> that's really funny. I always admire that. When you hear those stories about actors and all these freak things happen that, you know, are, are great when they capture them, but they 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 have the, they're so into it that they don't break character. Yes, uh, I think, and then you know, react as the characters. I think that's well. It's like um, you know the the end of Goodwill Hunting, where when Ro- uh, when Robin Williams is reading the letter, mm-hmm. and um, you know the letter that Matt Damon he he says tell him tell them I got I had to go see about a girl yeah and and Rob- Robin Williams just improved son of a bitch stole my line yeah yeah. And it's like, oh my god! Like as as they're filming, like Matt Damon and and Ben Affleck are like clutching each other, like mm, it's so awesome, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the last line of the movie, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a good movie. Yeah, that house. I read some. Well, where does Iron Man live in the comics? Well, it goes back and forth. I mean, I mean, you know. Uh, John Favreau wanted to set the movie on the West Coast. Yeah, that's what I was just getting at. Uh, yeah, and and it's it's interesting because because for for a big chunk of the comics, Iron Man has been West Coast based mm. uh, in in Los Angeles. So so it's not out of the realm, you know. But definitely, uh, I mean, by virtue of Stark being like a global thing, he can be based anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. 
I do like that the movie is set uh, in in California. You know, it, it gives it kind of a unique flavor. Yeah, yeah, it looks like sort of beautiful house in Malibu or something, which eventually gets destroyed, yeah, it, doesn't it? In in the third one, yeah. yeah. There we go. We see a little piece. This of reminds there. me of Close Encounters here. Oh, it does, and and you know what? I'm sure that that was on Favreau's mind. Yeah, this guy's in the desert. Yeah, the um, uh, the the connection that these bad guys have to Obadiah Stane. I think I think the movie does a nice job of really uh, keeping that card hidden. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this this is where my like comic nerddom kind of works against me. Is that <laughs> yeah? Once you know that that. Obadiah Stane is the vil- is is in the movie. You're like, okay, well, he's going to be the villain, right? Right. The only question is, when will he be in this movie? Will he have a heel turn in this one or the next one? But um, I remember, I remember hearing that Jeff Bridges had been cast, mm-hmm. and they said, oh, he's going to play like a mentor role. Um, he's going to have he he's going to play like a, like a father figure to Tony Stark, and I was like, oh, okay, and then. Um, I read something to the effect of his, like he's uh, Bridges is is going to be sporting a very different uh, style for his head or something like that. It was it was something alluding to the idea that he's going to be bald. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as soon as it said that, I was like, oh, he's going to be Obadiah Stane. Oh, he's going to be a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I connected all the dots at once. See, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, whereas yeah, if it was some sort of like Indiana Jones film and they were hinting at. You know, his like Salah and all those people are like short round. He's gonna have a little kid, yeah, right. who says holy <laughs> right. potatoes. You're like, oh, well, that's gonna be short round. <laughs> Whereas I wouldn't have, you know, been able to put that Jeff Bridges stuff together. Now, this sequence here, Brian, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you and uh, you guys came up uh, uh, to San Francisco for WonderCon, yes, yes, uh, oh, wow, Favre. yeah, right. Uh, John, this was a few months before this movie opened. John Favreau. This is back when WonderCon used to be here before y'all guys down there stole it from us. Anaheim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Favreau was there. He brought uh, this, these, not this bit here, but uh, the stuff where where you see him testing the little bits and pieces of his armor. Wow, man, talk about that was the first footage that had been shown anywhere from Iron Man. Wow, yeah, I remember that because. I was working for someone who was working on a film, and they were showing. I remember X Files Two. I think was also. That's correct. Yeah, we were uh, part David of Duchovny and Gillian Anderson we and Chris Carter. Yeah, we were with a horror film called Shudder. That's right, with uh, Rachel Taylor, right? Yeah, now with uh, Jessica Jones. Yeah, she's not Jessica. See, everything goes back to Marvel. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually see. I I really like the way the movie makes you like Obadiah Stane. Uh huh. And I think part of it is because it's Jeff Bridges. <laughs> right, right. Who doesn't love Jeff Bridges? Yeah, the dude. communists don't love Jeff Bridges. <laughs> communists, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's so likable because he's Jeff Bridges, and so we really buy into this kind of father son relationship between them. Right. So the betrayal really works. I think. Uh, because you don't see it coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff I mean, it, you know, this is, this is a critique that people have of Marvel films, uh, the Marvel studios films is that they have a villain problem 
and I think that's a valid critique. Um, uh, you know, and and I think to some extent we see that in 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 this film where once Obadiah Stane has his heel turn, he becomes a lot less interesting. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's and a lot of films suffer from that, like a third act climax problem, where it just becomes knock down, drag out CGI. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I mean. Uh, you know, uh, when we when we look at the 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 second Iron Man, I mean, Mickey Rourke didn't make much of an impression as as the uh, Whiplash. You know. Mm-hmm. And we we tend to see that. I I, I I'm somebody I. I get tired of villains that are like the twisted mirror image of the hero. Mm. Like that gets old after a while. Yeah. Wait, is this it? This is the footage here, right? Where he's the, the, this. Well, this he showed us this, but also the previous thing where he gets like flipped backwards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But this he showed us for sure. Now, I it has been a little while since I've seen this. Can you remind me when they are fighting at the end? Are they fighting? to get to something in time or are they just fighting each other? Um, like, is there any ticking clock? No, it's, it's, uh, um, just mono Stark, kind of try- Stark is just trying to defeat, uh, Stan. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's part of the problem just in movies in general. Like you got to have a thing to get to a thing in time and maybe the bad guy's standing in the way. But if it's just till the first guy drops, that's not as interesting. Well, I think the idea is that he's going to kill Tony Stark and there's no one else who can stop him. I think it's like that. Yeah. And and Stark is dealing with, you know, his arc reactor is like the old defective one. Right. Well, that, there you go. Well, there's your clock. Yeah. You know, you get yeah. your power right. bar yeah. going down. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, th- this moment right here, I mean, where... where I love this where he's kind of he's talking to his this this um, uh, robot here yeah. dummy. Yeah, <laughs> they they have this banter throughout the films, which is very funny. But where where he's like, yeah, I can fly. I mean, it's we're you know uh, just about an hour into this movie, and it's a completely sci-fi premise that we're completely on board for because of the way the movie has methodically gotten us. It's it's walked us to this point. Yeah, yeah. You know, now this right here is the first time we're ever seeing what's probably one of the most iconic parts of seeing Iron Man on screen, which is just this close-up of Robert Downey's face with a bunch of CGI shit all, all around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're like, yeah, it checks out. You know, and it's it's. I'll tell you, this is John Favreau, the genius idea that he had mm-hmm. was this is how we're gonna keep Robert Downey as part of the action once. Once he turns into a CGI cartoon, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, I didn't, I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really smart. I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah, you know, and and the beauty of it is like, look at that. He's fully like there. There shouldn't be that much room inside his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I right? didn't even think of that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, but we totally buy it. You know. And the the beauty of it is that that's the, that's what's allowed Robert Downey to stay in the role for this many years because he doesn't have to do anything, you know. You, you, he he wears a really nice suit every every once in a while, like a like a like a finely tailored suit, and then they put him in a closet somewhere, put a camera on his face. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, that's funny. You know, uh, another thing too is, uh, you know, the suit is like ridiculous. 
But like the way that it is visually presented and the way that he steps into it and it, it gloms onto him and fits into place, like they just completely sell it. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's that's cute. Yeah, I, I like that it it feels like it has some weight and some heft to it and it feels you know it it it, it they've made it exist in a believable world and I, I feel yeah. like that's something that they've lost the thread of a little bit in, in some of the more recent films. Because of because its what, it, its capabilities or Yeah, it it's 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 you know, like the mask will just like disappear into nothing. And I'm always like, well, where did it go? Like, you know, <laughs> when he wants to talk, you mean? Yeah. Like exactly. Like in, in Captain America civil war, I'm thinking about where he's like talking to Captain America and he's wearing his helmet and then just, and it just kind of, and I'm like, well, where did, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and, and we're like, we're this far into the franchise. So you just roll with it. Mm-hmm. But I miss the, the tactile nature of, you know, like if I can draw a corollary, like that was something I wasn't crazy about in Black Panther. Uh, where what about he 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 has like the the necklace that he wears, right? Uh, it's like, yes. Oh, the suit ah. is like entirely in in the necklace. Yes. And I'm like, really? You right. Know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, like for some reason, I that's the bridge too far for me. No, you know it's funny though. <laughs> I do remember that in that film, and when it happened, it's like a little twitch I get, and I'm like, eh. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like you just, yeah, I mean, you're, you're just like, all right, yeah, yeah. I guess. Like th- that's me, all right, I guess. But but I like the idea of no, you got to take it off. You got you know, like yes, th- you know, like the Batman suit. It's like you got to take the cowl off. Like there's a process there that that allows us to believe that this unbelievable thing can somehow exist yeah you know yeah but see this, we talk this about uh, mixing... mark ii oh. suit real quick by the way that's uh that that's what ends up becoming uh the war machine armor oh okay yeah i guess get the we'll circle that. cut in the t-shirt there so his reactor yeah right <laughs> so this right here this little this little character bit here where it it gives us a little insight into uh, how Pepper feels about Tony. You know, the, the, <laughs> right, the right. proof Tony Stark has a heart. That's great. Yeah. And again, you leave it there. You're like, oh, that's a nice character beat for Pepper. But that's going to end up being this crucial thing later. Right. Completely separate from that. Meanwhile. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in the evil people's evil lair. Yeah. <laughs> where evil things are afoot. How did he do it? See, Reza's like, how could she love me? A man with a facial scar. <laughs> a facial scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In his, in his thought box. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so this is, a, you know, the, 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 the use of uh, Jarvis as, as, you know, as, essentially he serves a function of being like, you know, an exposition engine for, for either Tony or the computer so that we feel like something is happening. But we, you know, it's, it's really, it's one of those uh, instances of, of, uh, uh, what was it in Spider-Man? What are they called? The man in the chair? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a clear, it's a tweak on that, but it's that same trope. Yeah. Right. And it's the same idea. <clears throat> I think it says something about how, how good Paul Bettany is in this role. That's a completely nothing role at this point. Uh, that 
Joss Whedon did feel compelled to make the vision mm. uh, a, a realization of of, of uh, Jarvis. And it's funny too that I can actually hear him in my head too. It's enough of a right <laughs> distinguishable voice. And worth pointing out here that that um, the 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 voice of of uh, Suit Lady in in Spider Man Homecoming, I think he names her Karen. She is Jennifer Connelly, who is Paul Bettany's wife. So there's a little Easter egg, I suppose. Yeah, it's pretty call funny. That, right? And they both do it so well. That sort of automated voice. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this is so this is the first instance that we get coming up here, where we start getting a sense of uh, Obadiah Stane's uh, sinister motives, right? So this is like the Stark Gala that he was specifically not invited to. So through, up to this point, uh, Obadiah is kind of doing this thing like, oh, I'm trying to keep the company going, and I'm, you know, I'm I want to protect your company, I want to protect you, etc. But we find out is that he's he's actually. He's actually shady, but I think what the movie does nicely is it really parcels out the degrees of shadiness leading up to finally realizing that he ordered the hit mm-hmm. on Tony's life. Right. Of course, there's our Stanley Stan cameo there. First time Stan Lee made a cameo in a Marvel film was in uh, 1989 in The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, which is a TV movie based on the old TV series. And um, it, that movie guest starred uh, Daredevil. Wow! And and Stanley was one of the jurors in the trial sequence. Huh? That was his very first uh, cameo. How far removed from the series was that? Oh, let's see. The show ended in I want to say eighty three, eighty four. Wow. I think eighty three. Huh? Yeah. So let's talk about Agent Coulson here a little bit. So is he yes. from the comics? No, but he he is in the comics now as a result of the film. Sure. Um, but yeah, he was invented for the for this movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had read somewhere too that he was at one point just called Agent, right? He wasn't as uh, fleshed out of a as character as he became. I, I believe that. Yeah, just because Clark Gregg just added so much to him, and then he became he the great thread in right here, By the way, sorry, what? Yeah, he did. No, I was just saying. I mean, Quinn Paltrow looks terrific. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think uh, Coulson appears in uh, the first two Iron Mans and Thor and um, and Avengers. Mm-hmm. Mm. So he's in he's in only four of these movies. When you think about it, it's not that many. Yeah, wow, that's kind of funny. But then, although he will he will be Brian in the upcoming Captain Marvel starring Brie Larson. Really? We, well, it because it is set in the nineties. Oh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So they are gonna. Start getting uh, nonlinear here. Well, by a bigger degree. By a bigger degree, yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna see a youthified Sam Jackson. Really? Uh, Is that with, a thing? With with yeah, he's gonna be made to look younger. Huh. And he's uh, he's not he's gonna have both of his eyes. Huh. And uh, and uh, Coulson's gonna be uh, his sidekick, I guess. Yeah. So they in the cinematic universe, they're never gonna acknowledge that he came back to life. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, I mean, it's it's you know, yeah. Obviously, the you know, Agents of Shield has been going for five years, and Coulson's been off doing his own thing. So, I guess that show is just one of those things where you're like, well, if you want Coulson to be alive, there it is. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
I think that's something even Joss Whedon said. He even though Joss even though Joss Whedon is the one who wrote the pilot of Agents of Shield, I believe he directed the pilot too. Uh, he's like, as far as I'm concerned, Coulson is still dead. <laughs> wow. And it, <clears throat> excuse me, it was his brother who was in charge of this TV series, right? Yeah, Jed Whedon. Hmm. Yeah. So nepotism is a thing, I guess. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so a, a, a big favor for him, I imagine you know, getting the director of the biggest film they had had at that point. But then it's interesting that he's like, yeah, I'll do this and I'll launch your little thing. But uh, yeah, that character's really dead in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's like you, you get like, I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds because I think that Colson's death is very effective. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like because pivotal for like them. the character. It, it is. And, and I think honestly, like even in this film, right. I mean, Clark Gregg, is able to do so much with so little. Mm -hmm. Right. I think he's just a charming guy, um, in a very, uh, unassuming way. You know, I mean, I think, I think the purpose of the role in this film, especially is to, is to sort of blend in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it's funny cause at the time this movie came out, Clark Gregg was on a show called the new adventures of old Christine. Right. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, yeah, exactly. He played her ex-husband and they had a, you know, continuing combative relationship. And so I already liked him. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, it's it's the new Christine guy, you know. <laughs> but like, I could he have imagined, I mean, let's be honest, Agent Coulson is the role that's going to define his <laughs> rest of his career. Yeah. You know, who, who, would he have thought that, you know? Yeah. So this bit right here, I really like where, where. Tony is connecting the dots about what his company is responsible for, right? So this is this is where we put to the test his newly found, you know, conscience. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we, I I feel like th this film in particular. I mean, you you could do it could be a chapter in like a screenwriting book in terms of economy of storytelling and how you lay out the stakes and how you how you guide your character's journey. Mm -hmm. Because had there never been a universe to follow after this, you would have still had a movie with a beginning, middle, and end that gave our character a journey that felt satisfying at the end. Mm -hmm. You know? And so every first film should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it really, you know? Yeah. And I, I think, um, uh, you know, when we look at the the Marvel first movies... They're all pretty good at that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At, at at feeling pretty satisfying. I mean, we're at a point now where you pretty much, you can anticipate that there's going to be a sequel. Like, it's not as much of a question mark. Mm -hmm. But, like, certainly this first batch of movies, like the first Thor, etc., um, it's satisfying. You know, even, well, Captain, Captain America is kind of an interesting thing because by the time that movie came out, you know, they'd already been filming The Avengers. Oh, okay, so, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you remember, but the but the post credit scene of the first Captain America is just a trailer for Avengers. I don't remember that. Yeah, like every other movie had a little scene. The post credit scene of Captain America: The First Avenger it was like <laughs> just the first trailer for the Avengers. Oh wow! Yeah. So this is a nice bit right here, where it's it's just uh, for that shot right there is like one of the most iconic mm -hmm. pictures from this movie where he's got the repulsor pointed right at the camera. 
but it's, this is where he realizes he can use because the the repulsor is meant for flight stabilization, but he realizes here he can use it as an offensive weapon, mm-hmm. and that that's what made all the difference, Brian. <laughs> And repulsor technology, of course, comes into play later because that's what keeps the, um, the uh, what do you call it? The um, in in Captain America: The Winter Soldier, it's the those helicarriers. Oh right, yeah, that, yeah, that are crucial. Those are those are repulsor technology. This this is what you were talking about here. This See, what, like, look just, at this. I love you. Just buy it. It's this, like like suiting up thing. That's exactly right. I I like the idea that there's an elaborate machine works here. It's got to put that on. I I like it less when it's just oh let me pu- push this little doodad here. Yeah, or it's like a little suitcase my... and yeah, where it couldn't you know? feasibly fit. Yeah, like it it's gotten more unbelievable as we've gone along, and I almost feel ridiculous saying that because of where we're starting because this is itself unbelievable. You know, no, this is completely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I, I uh, boom, that's pretty cool. That's great. Um, when I see some of these behind-the-scenes photos and you see that he's in basically some sort of suit, you know, like spandex suit, and they'll put it on later, I I remember it was a big surprise to me, like, oh, he wasn't wearing anything? Like, right. for the most part, I feel like it always looks like he has something tangible on him. They yeah. do a really good job with the armor. It's it's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. It really is, yeah. So th- this is this is uh, uh, again we talk about sort of grounding it in the real world. Uh, nice, nice way of of contextualizing this character in uh, what was at the time of you know a very omnipresent conflict. I mean, we don't really talk about Afghanistan anymore, mm-hmm. uh, but back then it was it was kind of front and center in the in the news. Yeah, so wait, how far are we now? Was this one hour and 16 minutes and we're going to see him suited up in action for the first time? We haven't seen him as the archetypal Iron Man Mm -hmm. until, like, right now, you know? So they definitely pace themselves. Yeah, but all the stuff leading up to it is compelling enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I think it, I think it goes to uh, the way they've created this character, and and I've said this before elsewhere, but you know, there's this ding on Marvel Studios movies, like oh, they're all just full of jokes and stuff, and it's like, well, there's one-liners, you know, there's there's moments of genuine laughs, but you look at like this, you look at this first movie, this first Iron Man, I mean, it's not laugh a minute. No, no. I mean, I think, you know, they they leaned into it more as they went on. Yes. Um, and then I think, especially in like the Whedon, maybe even like Avengers 2, you know, there's like a lot of whys, a lot of cracking whys. <laughs> but yes. I feel like they've actually stepped back from it a little bit in the past few films. Yeah, I mean, to some extent it depends on, you know, I mean, obviously the Guardians movies – Sure, that, that's thing. their milieu, yeah. right? And and we saw that, we saw it obviously in, in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, but, but that even that's, felt a little different. It it did Humorous, that, but a that had a humor. it had like a quirky sensibility. Yeah. Um, and well, and I th- and I think um, that's been the smart thing insofar as uh, the right lesson to learn from the first Iron Man is. Just trust your director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think 
what we saw with the second Iron Man and what we saw with the second Avengers is the studios start, started sort of getting their fingers in their in in the pie a little bit uh because both Iron Man 2 and Avengers 2 resulted in their respective directors just burning out and leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it was from the like having to answer to, you know, all the, the all the suits if you will. That doesn't seem to be as much of a problem anymore. Oh, maybe they learn from it. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I mean you've got the the Russo brothers, right, who are going to end up doing four of these when all is said and done. Wow. Right, because cause two, two Captain Americas, two Avengers, and then you've got, you know, um, what's his name? Ant-Man. What, what's his name? Peyton. Oh, uh, Reed? Pey- Peyton Reed. I was about to say Peyton Manning, but I was like, <laughs> I, I don't think he's a director. Yeah. Um, is that um, the most that any... Uh, uh, the, the, the Russo yeah. brothers? Yeah. Four? Yeah, by a wide margin, yeah. Wow. That's a lot of, lot of time in this universe. It is, but I mean, if you notice, I mean, we're seeing, uh, we're we're seeing directors returning, and and that seemed not to be the case earlier. I mean, like Kenneth Branagh did one; he was done, and then, um, you know, uh, Alan Taylor did the second Thor, and he was done. You know, mm-hmm. but like every every sequel that they have on tap, it seems like it's like Ryan Cooler will obviously be back for the next Black Panther. Uh, you know, uh, John Watts is going to be back for the next Spider-Man. Like there, it seems like that's a thing now where it carries forward with the same people, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and as fast they as they were moving and evolving and figuring this all out for their, I mean, you look at the, the star Wars being rebooted here and they've got, you know, all these directors getting fired and replaced and whatnot. I mean, their track record isn't great actually, <laughs> you know, since it started. That's true. And then with these guys, I mean, their missteps have been mighty small. They really have. I mean, you have to give it up to to Kevin Feige. And, you know, I've spent enough time on our regular show just singing his praises. But I really do think, I mean, the achievement speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it could not have happened without somebody who had the vision to make it happen. Yeah. And and Kevin Feige, I remember when when uh, when, you know, when these first two films were coming out, and there was just there was just whispers of oh maybe maybe you know Robert Downey might make a cameo here, but before even that, uh, Kevin Feige had said like well, we know that you know Captain Mer- we've got Captain America back we've got Thor back, we've got Hulk, we know that those characters can be the Avengers that's not something we're not aware of mm-hmm. you know, and like it was there already in the back of his mind. And it's like all it took was having the idea to do that mm-hmm. when you think about it. You know, you, you mentioned on our other show, like, it's it's all about filling the void you didn't know existed. Right, right. You know, and it's like the, we didn't realize we needed a superhero cinematic universe, or not needed, but that we really wanted a superhero cinematic universe until it happened. Yeah, and so you do it, and then it becomes a thing, and everyone praises it, and then everyone tries to repeat it, and it doesn't work as well. That's right. Yeah. You know, because because the idea of of having the Avengers actually show up was just like, that was that was like, well, of course that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Why would it? Right. You know? And then it happens. You're like, oh, I guess we can do that. Well, yeah, <laughs> and not even just with those characters, but it must be 
thinking of getting all those big actors in one movie to be co-stars with each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else has I done mean, that it, except the, for something like it's a mad, 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 mad world or something, you know? Right. Like, <laughs> That's true. And, and I mean, you know, Edward Norton was, uh, I guess we would say collateral damage on the way to the Avengers, you know? And why is that? Um, you know, my sense is that he was kind of a challenge for the Marvel people to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I don't know if you remember this, but like he, he co-wrote the screenplay of the incredible Hulk, Edward Norton. Did. Yeah. He didn't get credit for it, but he, he, the, the version that made it to the screen, it was like all his dialogue. Wow. And, um, he, there, there were cuts that were made to bring down the runtime and also make it more action packed. And he, took he he was upset by that mm. so specifically there was like an opening sequence where we see bruce banner try to kill himself he puts a gun in his mouth and he turns into the hulk before like like the hulk won't let him die mm-hmm. basically and that was cut out i would say for obvious reasons it was cut out yeah. because kids are probably gonna watch this movie you know yeah i don't want to um, see that <laughs> yeah right and it's a deleted scene you can see it on the blu-ray and it's it's kind of like whatever it's fine but you know i don't i don't think you, you lost anything by cutting it out but uh he refused to promote the movie i don't know if you knew that oh see i i've forgotten all this wow yeah okay. like he, th- there was a promo tour he did not go on i think he did one promo appearance on jimmy kimmel like in a skit and and the marvel people were like you know what f this guy yeah yeah and they put out a statement. Like, I, I remember, because uh, this is, uh, we're talking now summer of 10, when, you know, the casting is going on for, for Hulk. And it all happened very quickly. They're like, like they didn't they didn't give him a chance to say no. They were just like, we don't want Edward Norton. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we want a partner who's going to work with us and who's who's a good collaborator. Like, it was very, I remember reading it being like, rare, you know. <laughs> their statement and then and edward norton put out a statement where he's like you know it was my pleasure to p- play the hulk and to be one of the people who got to be like it was a very magnanimous statement on his part mm-hmm. but from that to the announcement of mark ruffalo was less than a week wow well and and by all accounts and maybe this is something uh you've you've heard but louis leterrier who did uh incredible hulk he has said my choice was mark ruffalo mm. But Marvel wanted Edward Norton. I believe it. I mean, well, and then he worked yeah. with them next in Now You See Me, which I was... Uh, so, yeah. that lends credence to that idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He was a good and, guy. And yeah, and in fact, in fact, by the way, uh, um, uh, Brian, in The Avengers, the Ruffalo's banner talks about how he tried to put a gun in his mouth and, mm. and the Hulk wouldn't let him. So, so it... The 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 Ruffalo Hulk is meant to be the in same. In case there's any doubt about it, he is the same. It's just a different actor, but it's the same way Terrence Howard and Don Cheadle are playing the same guy. Yeah. Um, because they also he uh, Ruffalo Ruffalo Banner uh, mentions uh, how he broke you know the Bronx or whatever the last time he was in New York, mm. and that's a reference to the Incredible Hulk movie. I gotta watch that one again. I haven't. That's another one I haven't seen since it first came out the hulk i feel like it's underrated mm-hmm. you know uh i still think it's a good movie i i think it it does feel somewhat tonally in congress with the rest of the the mcu mm-hmm. so it does stick out a little bit but 
you know, just as like a formative piece of it, I think it's really important, you know? Yeah. I do remember seeing, you know, again, the little cameo that Robert Downey has, and that just blew my hair back. Hmm. Because, again, that was the first time we'd ever seen anything like that, you know? Yeah. And to have someone as big as Robert Downey Jr. just popping into another movie like, yeah, this universe is connected. I know. MBD. That's something. Yeah. It was amazing. And I do like the fact that uh, William Hurt, as as General Ross, they actually did bring him back in Captain America Civil War. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. To tie the... That to tie that movie in a little further, I believe, and maybe this will be like maybe this this comment will be out of date in like two weeks after Avengers. But I believe Liv Tyler is in Avengers: Infinity War. Get out! That's what I have read. Oh, that'd be really cool. Yeah, but again, we'll find out. Yeah, like yeah, if, yeah. Like, okay, well, never mind this commentary. <laughs> now, this right here, uh, uh, Jeff Bridges here, he says. Uh, Tomara tofa syrup yehe, and you see it right there. That means uh, this is the only gift that you'll get. Mm-hmm. And that—that's Urdu. He's speaking. I'm like, I, I speak Urdu, you know. How, how did I, he I do? Just fine. Quite well. I was—I was kind of—I was telling my wife. I was like, how weird is it hearing Jeff Bridges speaking Urdu? You know? <laughs> <laughs> my kids were like, did he just speak Urdu? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know, Jeff Bridges, I, you know, I love Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah. I really do. Like, has he been in bad movies? He absolutely has. But he is good in every movie he's in. Yeah, yeah. He's one of those guys that's just so, he just brings that thing that only he has. You know, so whatever character he plays, he's always going to bring that little extra something because he just naturally has it. He's just one of those actors. Well, his um, he has a moment in this film, which I'll, I'll point out mm. when he gets to, which is just one of my favorite bits of Jeff Bridges ish delivery. Okay, yeah, yeah point it out. I'll, I'll I'll point it out when we get there. Yeah. So this is a nice piece right here, where where she's pushing back on his crusade because she's kind of saying, "Oh, this is just kind of." You know, you're not serious about this, but I mean, uh, I I think I think it's all of these character moments that really that really m- make the rest of the stuff work. You know, it's it, I'm reminded of like in Batman '89. You know, um, we need that bit where Vicky Vale comes and sees him in the Batcave. Yeah, um, that's that's important for for not just that relationship, but for us as we go into the third act. Yeah, try to get them to confront their... Yeah, I mean, you know, not just their relationships, but just what are the stakes, what's yeah. involved, you know? I mean, uh, that scene in Batman 89, I mean, I, I uh, it's a great bit of acting for Michael Keaton, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, to me, to me, this scene here it plays very similarly, where it's like, why are you doing this? And it, it's it's our hero laying out exactly what would prompt him to dress in this outlandish costume and, you know, fight bad guys or whatever. You pointing it out right now, I, I didn't even think to line it up with 89 Batman, but you're so right. Right? Uh, it's it's very, I mean, it, honestly, it occurred to me as I was watching it right here. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. That, that movie, by the way, I mean, B- B- Batman 89 is itself so important when we look at, if we were to, plot like a trajectory like a timeline 
of the of superhero movies. Oh yeah. In terms of the the long reach that it had. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a movie, you know, that came out when I was 9. And so mm-hmm. that was back when I just enjoyed what was put in front of me. Right? Yeah. And you enjoy it cuz it's good, but then when you get older and you I didn't I, I never thought of that movie as having a script. Like, you know what I mean? I was a kid. And so, like, and I know it so well, I don't think of it in terms of being written on the page and thought out and everything. And then when you get older and you, you look at those things, you're like, man, that was, you know, these are solid. The, the movies with staying power for a reason, you know? And like you say, where yeah. they paved the way in a lot of ways and people started doing what they did. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, uh, Superman the movie and, and Batman 89 are so important to this genre mm-hmm. that for me it's impossible to be critical about them you know yeah yeah i mean there are nits to be picked but i mean they're they're like the lodestones that everything else is built on yeah and, yeah. and something else I, i'm i i feel like i should point out here when you have uh you're talking about that scene right there where it's the moment where he has to defend what he's doing and she you know doesn't want him to put himself at risk and in watching this movie now with the sound off with you, <laughs> it really makes you appreciate good filmmakers because hmm. I'm not, I don't hear the music. I don't even hear what they're saying, but where the camera is and the way that they're blocked, the way that they're lit, you just really appreciate a good visual filmmaker who's making me feel what I'm supposed to feel, even with the sound off. Yes. You know, and Favreau, it's really true. He's a, he's a, he's a good filmmaker. He is, and and we've seen that in the stuff he's done since the Iron Man films. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, notwithstanding uh, Cowboys and Aliens, which I think was kind of a misstep for him, but it's not a badly made movie. Yeah, it's just not a particularly good movie. <laughs> it's funny. My brother and I were literally talking about that movie about a week ago, and we were saying it's so disappointing because the concept is like so up our alley. <laughs> You know, I mean, the it's, cast, you know, yeah, the past dealing with like UFO. It's great. And it's, it's such a great filmmaker. It's so disappointing that for some reason that just didn't come together. Well, and, and the idea that, that you're going to team up Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford yeah. and just kind of have it sit there, you know? Yeah. Um, that's disappointing. But, but I mean, you look at Jungle Book. I mean, oh, yeah. that movie, that movie had no right to be as good as it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. The only reason I'm looking forward to Lion King, because... The guy that's making Jungle Books making Lion King, then it's going to be yeah, something. You're not kidding. Yeah. You know, I do like, by the way, that John Favreau has remained involved in the MCU. It's not like he got frozen out. So to what degree? And, can you can you tell me? I don't really know. Well, I mean, he obviously continues to appear as Happy Hogan. Sure, sure. I mean, was there right. ever a point where he sort of dropped off creatively? Or stepped you know, out, I, I think, should say? I, I think that his creative involvement has been over since Iron Man 2. Okay, okay. Uh, he 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 is an executive producer of the Avengers franchise. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, which makes sense. Yeah, it's almost like a finder's fee, you know? Right. That was part of the deal. When he, when he signed to do uh, Iron Man 2, it included uh, a produ- being a producer on the hypothetical at that point Avengers movie mm-hmm. and that's carried through for all of them. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think he has any creative say, but I mean, he's, uh, you know, it's kind of like he alluded to, he's sort of treated like a 
revered elder, you know? Mm-hmm. It's an acknowledgement. It, it is, you yeah. know, and, and I'm assuming whatever, uh, you know, he's, whatever pittance, quote unquote, he's getting, it's, it's, it's not too shabby for having no real involvement in it, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right. But I, I, I like the fact that, for example, in Spider-Man Homecoming, Happy Hogan was uh, just as in, uh, present throughout the story as Tony Stark. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean these are these are s- small side characters, but in their own way, they've become just as beloved. Yeah, you know, I mean it it was nice to see Pepper Potts at the end of Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, it was nice to be like, oh, they broke up, but they're back together. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. You know, I I like that idea that we're seeing that narrative continue. Okay, so right here, he's like, make this smaller right and the guy can't do it so right here jeff bridges <laughs> tony stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps, box of scraps. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> what i love is that just literally that clip of him saying that you can go to youtube and you'll find that like a three second clip oh really <laughs> and so clearly somebody else found that just as endearing as i <laughs> did <laughs> because it's such a jeff bridges delivery Really but good. the guy's response is also just as important in terms of the story. What does he say? I'm not Tony Stark. Yeah. Whatever he did, whatever is in Tony Stark's head is like a friggin' mutant power. Nobody else can figure it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, it's worth pointing out that scientist that he was just yelling at. Yeah. He, he has like this, like uh bald top of his head with the hair on the sides. Which was yes. clearly not what his actual hairline is. It's so evidently <laughs> shaved, like manufactured to look that way. I'm just like, that was a decision. Well, that that actor is somebody. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> aren't we all? That's not. No, yeah, aren't we all somebody? I thought actually you were. I didn't know where you're going with that at first. <laughs> no, no, he's he's. Some, I'm 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 trying to look it up because oh, he's see. somebody who like. Like oh that's that's that guy like and I'm I'm gonna see if I can find it. Uh, Rory Calhoun. <laughs> Rory, <laughs> he's that uh, he's that man who walks and talks. You know? Yeah. So this is a nice bit of business right here, where you know not only is Tony's life at stake, we've we we've set up the stakes heading into the third act. You yeah. know. I'm just realizing he's smart. He's 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 so evil yeah. here. Ugh. Yeah. Wait, did you figure out who that guy was? I'm 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 looking it up. No pressure. I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna bug me. Yeah. So what was your what was your reaction to this movie when we first saw it? Now you went in. With no expectations, you had no idea what the comics were. No, and also, as we've said many times, I and mean, we didn't know what was coming. So I wasn't thinking that this was going to be the start of a thing I was going to be invested in for the next ten years as a moviegoer. <laughs> you know, like this was right. just. Um, so I, I'm sure, if I remember right, I knew it was going to be a big superhero thing, and I thought it probably felt fresh. Hmm. You know, because I, I like. I like things that are a little more grounded. Uh, yes. We've covered before, even when you have the fantasy and sci-fi elements, and this is—I mean, this is right up my alley. 
you know, like you say, where the first half is just so they spend so much time making sure you feel like you're on planet earth and then they get to push it in the second half. And I like stuff like right. that. So I'm, and it's just, it's just entertaining. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it, it really does hold up even, even this many years later. Yeah. And, and, and now that I'm thinking about it also, uh, there's not, we haven't seen a crap load of visual effects yet. No, really? <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> Kind of like when you you uh, read about Jurassic Park or Back to the Future or something, and they're like, you know, Back to the Future only has like sixteen VFX shots, <laughs> you know, and you're like, what? Right. It feels like it's like ten times more, but it isn't. And uh, similar with Jurassic Park, you know, the CGI shots are way fewer than you think in that movie. And I'm realizing that about this one right now. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's efficient. Yeah. Well, it just, it didn't need them. Like, it didn't need to dazzle you. Like, the story's dazzling. The characters are dazzling. Right. You know? The characters are compelling. Yeah. They're effective. You know, I think, I think that's, so this bit right here, this is what I'm talking about. Look at, look at how perfectly we, we, we're set up for this ending. Yeah. Or this, this sequence here, but in such a way that we don't see all the pieces being laid out. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like the redemption of dummy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really well shot there too for comedic effect. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so now he's got his suit, but he has an imperfect reactor. So to 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 your point from earlier, there's your taking clock. Yeah. yeah. See, so yeah. this, yeah, you know, we have that tendency of like, oh, the villain is like the bigger, badder version of the hero. Like that, that does sort of get tiresome a little bit. Yeah, I think what I remember about this movie, the the battle starts to get a little weary for me, or I get exactly. a little weary about it. But it, it's like the drama's there, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So it's it's not. I would say this is like the worst offender of that. What people accuse stuff of now, you know, like when they. Now this cracks me up when Terrence Howard's this, like Tony. <laughs> I was going to bring that up earlier, actually. <laughs> yeah, you and Tony! I used to do this all the time to each other. <laughs> we did it for a while. Yeah, Ter- <laughs> we, we should clarify what we're talking about. We're t- we're totally talking like two buddies right now. With like, like when Terrence Howard. <laughs> When Terrence Howard is coming down the stairs and he's calling out for Tony, just his delivery, like, Tony! You do it. I can't even yeah, do it. It's, it's, Tony! <laughs> we used to do that for years to each other. We really did. We got probably like three solid years of mileage out yeah. of that. Maybe that's why they fired him. <laughs> yeah. And Kevin yeah, Feige was saw fine the rushes. That day. And everyone yeah, with their yeah, headphones Feige on. Feige saw the rushes and he just started cringing. <laughs> Wait, what? What? Feige uh, was cringing when he saw the the rushes. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I was gonna say they're on set at like Video Village with their headphones, and just like Ugh. like at the same time <laughs> looking at each other. Oh, poor Terrence Howard. Oh, sorry, pal. Well, he's got Empire now. I, I love she, her her line here, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. She's like, "What is that? Like a it's like a little device that you're gonna put there, and it's gonna explode." Like the way she says it. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> Like that definitely uh, goes to what we were talking about earlier that they were probably uh, improving a lot of the dialogue as they were going. <laughs> right, right. You know, it definitely feels like that. So this here uh, is meant to set up, 
you know, Rhodey becoming War Machine. Right. I think I remember because you pointing course, that out to me the first time I saw it because I didn't know. Yeah, so so he takes off, and then and then we very deliberately we get this bit where um, the camera pans over to the other suit of armor. Right there, there we go, and then he says, "Next time." And of course, that's just a lot of bitter irony now. If you're Terrence Howard, <laughs> right? Right, and it's it's interesting because the the, the character of the character of James Rhodes was introduced in the early part of the seventies, but he actually didn't become War Machine until the early part of the nineties. Oh wow! So yeah, so he was around as basically Tony Stark's right hand man for uh, right around uh, twenty years. Wow. And then and then the character as the the War Machine armor was a was a, a separate suit of armor that that was like Tony Stark's Iron Man suit, and then in the comics he. He faked his death because his he was his his like nervous system was going through a total shutdown, so he had to heal. So he fakes his death and he leaves his company and the suit to Jim Rhodes. And that's when Jim Rhodes became War Machine. So then, previous was he just sort of like Tony Stark's inside man on the inside kind of thing? He was the man in the chair. Yeah. yeah. You know, and for the, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, there was a while there where he briefly became uh, Iron Man while Tony Stark was healing and stuff, but he didn't become a separate superhero until much later. You know, and there was a, there was a cartoon show. There was a cartoon show in the '90s where it it uh, uh, it was you know it was Iron Man and War Machine. War Machine was in fact voiced by uh, James Avery. Really. From the Fresh Prince, yeah, and and uh, Tony Stark was voiced by Robert Hayes. <laughs> really? You know Robert Hayes, right? Yeah, and he was a really a great voice. Honestly, like when I read those comics from from the eighties that I grew up with, I I hear Robert Hayes' voice in my head. Interesting. I have to look that up. I'm yeah. kind of curious. Yeah, and in, in fact, there was a, there was an Iron Man cartoon in the sixties that I mentioned earlier with the theme song. Iron Man's voice was John Vernon, who was uh, the dean in. Um, Animal House. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so very different from Robert Downey. Yeah, much older. Yeah, and more, more kind of uh, you know very sensible. Sound yeah, like yeah, yeah. And it's funny because ever since these movies started, I mean, there have been a handful of animated versions of Iron Man, and they whoever they do, uh, whoever they have doing the voice, uh, is like trying to sound like Robert Downey. <laughs> right, right, right. But it doesn't sound good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So this here is kind of what we were talking about, where it's just kind of, it's just a lot of CGI. Yeah. It looks kind of cool, though. <laughs> I like it when he ripped through that truck right there. Well, it's just funny because this feels relatively sedate. Yeah. In comparison with, you know, some of the other stuff we've seen. Yeah. Know? Maybe that's why I like it. <laughs> you know? that's I think that's, that's part Save of Save the it, family yeah. in the car. The stakes are somewhat relatable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they run him over. Now, in in a little bit, we're about to get uh, one of Brian's favorite uh, tropes in these movies, which is, of course, the blue beam shooting into the sky. Oh, yeah. It was there from the very so beginning, wasn't it? <laughs> it it's... it's uh, it's essential, right? You know, someday I'm gonna I'm gonna like do my research and I'm gonna figure out the whole history of the blue beam in the sky. 
<laughs> find out where that began, where it's going, what it means for all of us. What it means for all of us. <laughs> it's kind of funny See, that bus like there. They can move this anywhere. It's kind of smart. <laughs> I mean, this this looks like L.A., right? I mean, down yeah, yeah. This could easily be like L.A. Center Studios, where you like have that fake street. You know what I mean? Like you put a big bus and it's blocking a lot of scenery. Yeah. Remember in the Matrix, the sequel, where they built like a whole mile of freeway just to yeah up? up here. That that was in the Bay Area. Crazy. Okay, so check it out. So the I, I've been digging this up. The scientist. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is. Hold on. I just want to confirm this before I say it. Yes. So the scientist uh, who who says, I'm not Tony Stark, he is an actor named Peter Billingsley. Oh! Who you may recall as Ralphie in A Christmas Story. Yep, and he is uh, a producing pal of John Favreau's. Exactly. Ah, So they're like, all right, we're going to make you look like someone else. That was bugging the crap out of me. I've just spent like 10 minutes trying to find that out. Yeah. That, That makes a lot of sense now. It really does. So, so you know, we were talking about seeding the story, right? We saw earlier about how it, the, the higher Iron Man went in that earlier armor. Mm-hmm. It was icing up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, look at just look at how they lay out the pieces of the story in such a way where it doesn't feel like a cheat. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's I'm I'm uh, I I haven't seen this in a while, and I just remember what how I remember it and what I've heard other people say about it over and over, but I don't know. This ending, this third act's not really, uh, I'm bothering. Isn't the right word, but it's not the way that I remember it. Like it, it's certainly not egregious to the extent of like a, like a suicide. No, spot or something. not at all. Actually. And like you said, I mean, all yeah. that's happening right here and the way that he figures out how to defeat him. Like you said, it's all seated, you know, this isn't just nonsense. Yeah. And that's right. It, it, I appreciate that the the movie works hard to make every plot development feel like a logical development of what came before. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, this is, like, really solid. I mean, uh, up to and including uh, the the manner in which he he contrives a way to, to defeat Stain, which is using that giant arc reactor. Mm-hmm. Which again, as I mentioned earlier, I mean the movie has just laid it. It's there, it exists right. in the in the world of the film. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and the kid from a Christmas story is working on it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought of this before. I'm going to think about it every time now when it shows the inside of his mask, and that his mask isn't that big. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's totally true, yeah. right? But this all looks pretty good. I mean, you know, the smoke and bullets and whatnot, but it, the suit, like, I can't tell if it's CG or a practical thing they're doing. No, I mean, as I said, I mean, especially in this first movie, it's damn near seamless, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, this right here. So there's the, the giant reactor. Yeah. And I just, I, I just love that this whole idea of the arc reactor has become sort of part of our collective vernacular. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I mean, 
that's what's you know I I mentioned way up top when we started this com- commentary about how nobody knew who Iron Man was back in the day, but now you say Tony Stark and people know. Oh sure, is. yeah, my dad. And, yeah, <laughs> that was exactly, always my barometer. You know? Yeah, you know, like like in in one of my classes, if I'm like, man, this guy's like a regular Tony Stark, people will know who I right. mean. Right, right, and that says something about how ubiquitous the characters become, and that's entirely as a result of John Favreau and Robert Downey. Mm-hmm. I give both of them equal credit, honestly. Yeah. You know? I'm realizing looking at Jeff Bridges right now, he looks sort of like a white James Avery. <laughs> <laughs> With the gray beard and the, he does. the bald head. I was just thinking about him and in, in that effect, it reminds me of... Uh, Paul Giamatti when he was the, the yes. rhino, remember? Yeah. Doesn't it look a little bit it like It totally that? does, yeah. I wonder if he felt ridiculous. like uh, Giamatti? Or Jeff Bridges well, here? Him, t- him t- Well, both, yeah. Yeah, yeah I just saw a bit See, of this... that recently. He's like, I'm the rhino! Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's oh pretty boy. crazy. That was, that was unfortunate. Yeah. Where were we saying now? No, I was just saying right here this moment as we as we lead up to his finally defeating him. I mean, I like the fact that it's you know Tony has his arc is such that he's at the point now where he's willing to sacrifice his own life to defeat the bad guy. You know, yeah. like we've gone on this journey with him. It's you know I I made the connection to Doctor Strange earlier. You know. That's something that I really like about the third act of that movie, where the whole movie is is Doctor Strange. Not even the whole movie. Well, yeah, to to, to some extent, the whole movie is about him being selfish. He wants to get his the use of his hands back, right? And then the the resolution of the film is him willing to lose again and again and again forever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as long as it'll keep the Earth safe. Yeah. So there's there's his arc, you know, and so we see that here. To, to some extent. Here it comes, Brian. Wait for it. There it goes. There's the blue beam. Come on. Shoot into the sky, blue beam. Yay. <laughs> Did I miss the blue beam? Where'd it go? Did we miss it? It happened. No. Oh, yeah. okay. I thought it was going to happen again. I was getting excited. Yeah, I was, I was hoping for like a second <laughs> win, but no. Yeah, but that one wasn't that. But that this one is... made sense. That was like a reaction to some sort of explosion. You know what I mean? It wasn't like some sort of <laughs> ominous bad things are happening signal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Wow, geez. You know, so so worth pointing out here, right? I mean, the the movie introduces the mechanism by which to include what was the status quo in the comics forever, which is what. Iron Man is Tony Stark's uh, bodyguard. Mm. Nobody knows who Iron Man is. He's a secret employee of Stark Enterprises. But in actuality, shh, Tony Stark is actually Iron Man. That was the case forever. Huh. Right? And so the movie itself right here, that's his, he's handed that as the the rationale. And when you think about it, the movie could have just run with Mm -hmm. that. But instead... Right up top, they're like, "No, we're not going to do the secret secret identity thing anymore." Hmm. And that's when you think. I mean, that's like one of the most basic superhero tropes that the Marvel movies have 
with the exception of Spider-Man, entirely abandoned. I wonder if it's because we've seen it. And they're like, let's not do this whole misleading, this person's catching on, this, like, they're like let's just yeah. let's just forgo all that. Poss- possibly, you yeah. know? And then, you know, uh, short, shortly before uh, the movie came out, the comics had, had uh, you know, th- they had revealed Tony Stark's identity. But, I mean, uh, you know, for certainly for as long as I read Captain America, nobody knew Steve Rogers was Captain America. Mm. For the longest time, Thor had a secret identity. I mean, you know, oh, it's, it's see, weird I how. See. see, I didn't even know that. Everyone, yeah, like Thor. Thor's deal was that he would hit his hammer on the ground and it would turn into a walking stick, and he would turn into this mortal doctor who who walked with a limp. Oh, interesting. You know, but did he still have the and... physique? No, he was like normal. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's one of those basic things about the comics that the movie universe has almost entirely abandoned. Yeah. You know, but even think about it, even Spider-Man, what's like, what's the, what do they do at the end of the Spider-Man movie? Oh, Aunt May finds out he's Spider-Man. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. You know? Wait, did Thor have an unrequited crush in the comics? How can she love me? I'm a doctor who is lame. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to hear you do it again. (laughs) A blind doctor who is bald and has... Like, they needed to just combine all I have a limp. Yeah. (laughs) It was literally like that, you know? That's funny. (laughs) I need to find uh, those panels and send them. I would love that, yeah. Yeah. You create a whole montage of those. (laughs) Wait, so what was your reaction then in this movie... When he just outs himself right here. Well, you know, the beauty of it is I was like so on board with everything up to this moment that by the time we got here, it it was it definitely wasn't like, oh, man, why'd they do that? It was like, OK, if you guys think that's worth doing, go for it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like that. And and I'll tell you, Brian, I don't think my that philosophy towards the MCU has ever changed, which is. If you guys think this is a way to do it, sounds good to me. Yeah. Well, that yeah. did you have like an awareness at the time too that this was coming from like the real deal people and not just like suits who were operating I under did. the Marvel name? No, no, I did. Yeah, yeah, because there was the whole Marvel story group and everything. I mean, there was a sense that this was the first time Marvel was making their own movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at least for me, that was that was kind of a big deal, you mm-hmm. know. It, and it's weird to to look at the the road leading up to the MCU because the MCU is so dominant. But you know, this is two thousand eight. Look at the ten years before this movie, right? You had Blade, you had X Men, right, right. you had Spider Man, you had all these movies that had to really lay the pipe for this universe to happen. Yeah, you know. Yeah. People forget that Blade is really where Marvel started at the movies. Huh. You know, I don't think I've seen a Blade movie. You've never seen any of the Blade no. movies? Really? Yeah. That's kind of interesting, actually. I'd be very curious what you think of the first Blade. Uh, Yeah. Which Wait, which one did Guillermo del Toro make? He did the second okay. one. Okay. 
Yeah, which is, I mean, look, I, I haven't revisited those movies in, in easily more than 10 years at this point. Yeah. But anyway, just but, real quick, going back to the, the whole thing where this is like the real deal Marvel people making their movies now. I mean, that's it's a whole other thing, too, where it's one thing to make a comic book like a, or, or like a novel or something. That's one medium. And then movies are a whole other medium that require completely different, you know, set of understanding, right, about what translates and and whatnot and so yeah, it's, but, it, but brian yeah i mean i mean story is story right? well i was just gonna say yeah it just but i i don't think all everybody is can make that crossover and some people just haven't and it's just it it speaks to their it's a testament to their ability to do that to you know i think i here's the key i i think what you what you've had with these films is a group of people involved who recognize what is at the core of, of these characters? Mm-hmm. What is at the core of their appeal? You know, and for, you know, certainly for me, I think I'm, I'm probably more familiar with, with their comic iterations than most people. Uh, but I look at these movies and I'm like, well, they're not chapter and verse of the comics. Mm-hmm. They are different, but I recognize the characters I'm seeing on the screen as the ones that I read in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I recognize. And I, I would say, uh, more than any other character, Captain America specifically, is like that's that's the Captain America from the comics, the way he acts. Huh. That's know? pretty cool. Whereas, like, you look at Robert Downey as Iron Man, and it's like, well, that's his. He's put a spin on it, you know. And I like it. I like that spin, but that's not one hundred percent the character that I read growing up. Mm-hmm. Not not in a bad way. You yeah. Know? This is different, you know? Like uh, the Joe Pesci speech at the end of Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah, it's a, you're like Froggy. <laughs> <laughs> then I met you and Roger. And you're, you're not better friends than Froggy. You're just different. Just different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking here. Additional editor Michael Tronic. I, I worked with him once. Did you yeah, really? He's a nice guy. How it seems it? like he is brought into a lot of uh, blockbuster movies to sort of yeah, finish the job to bring it home. He's a closer. Bring, he's a closer. Yeah. You know, as we sit here talking through the credits, it occurs to me how like we are now conditioned to, you know, just <laughs> sit and wait for Marvel movies to, to end. Yeah. I, I was just at ready player one and no one got out of their seats when the credits started. Really? And it's funny. Cause I have this app on my phone that I look at. As soon as the movie ends, I'm like, is there something at the end of the credits or not? It tells you. And uh, so I saw there wasn't anything. So I was like, okay, I'll go. But it's just funny. Everyone else there was like, there, there must be something. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's weird how, I mean, uh, like I don't I don't remember 10 years ago how many people hung around. But I, I remember that you, me, and Sean, we waited until it. So I, I knew. Um. But now it, you know, exponentially, as time has gone by, we've become more and more familiar with just, well, no, this is the ritual. We wait. Mm-hmm. I saw somewhere Literally. in like a comics, sorry, comments section, someone saying, yeah, Marvel invented the tag at the end of a film, which is not true. <laughs> that, yeah, that's not true. Right. But uh, yeah, they've they've conditioned us to know that there's going to be a little tag, a little teaser at each, right. of each one. It's just, I mean, we, 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 we accept that, Mm -hmm. you know, 
That's just a thing we know, and that's just how it is. I'd actually be interested in the history of that. See, these are like little five-minute videos I'd love to watch on Reddit or something. <laughs> you know, like right. what was the first film? Like I associate them with John Hughes movies mostly, I guess, from the eighties. You know, like Ferris yes, Bueller. Yes, that's true. I didn't think yeah, about that. Planes, yeah. Trains, and Automobiles has a little tag at the end. I don't think I knew that actually. Yeah, it's remember the movie opens with the business meeting and the guys looking at the different advertisements and wasting Steve Martin's time at the end of the movie after the credits, it's Thanksgiving day and the guy's still looking at the pictures and he he has a Thanksgiving Turkey on the table. Like he hasn't left. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, coming up here, we have our first Marvel post credit scene. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about the lead up to that, which is, uh, I don't. I don't think they they had any specific designs on exactly what they were going to do, but I, they obviously wanted to lay the pipe for the the potentiality of an Avengers mm-hmm. movie. But more interesting is the fact that they got Samuel L. Jackson in to play Nick Fury, <laughs> yeah. and right. And the roots of this go actually back about six years before this movie came out in a comic called The Ultimates which was kind of a an alternate universe reimagining of the Avengers. And it's written by Mark Millar and drawn by Brian Hitch. And the, the, the hook of this uh, series was that it was kind of a little bit more risque, a little bit more adult. And the, the artist uh, uh, was using photo reference for the various characters. And so uh, Nick Fury, who's traditionally, who was traditionally Caucasian in the comics, was reimagined as African-American in this alternate reality series. And so Brian Hitch was like, hey, why don't we make him look like Samuel L. Jackson? Mm. Now, interestingly, they did not ask Sam Jackson's permission <laughs> uh, when drawing him this way, right? And it just so happens that Sam Jackson is a comic book fan. So he reached out to them, and he's basically like, it's fine. Just remember to call me if you ever make the movie. And I think he was kind of just joking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course... Weirdly enough, how the wheel turns around six years later, they make the movie and they came up with this idea for the post credit scene just on a lark. Brian Bendis wrote it. Brian Bendis, a comic book writer. And they got Sam Jackson and they snuck him in completely. They didn't put it on any call sheets or anything. They snuck it in. They shot it really quickly just as a lark. And the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. I think I'm so used to it now that it's, Crazy to think of how insane this is that Samuel Jackson is in this movie after the credits. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. And what's what's funny is that is that the comics have now uh, introduced a black Nick Fury character who looks like Samuel L. Jackson, the regular comics. Yeah. Um, why? Because if it reached a point where that's who we think of as Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's weird how the tail wags the dog, right? So, so what they did in the comics is they actually... Uh, they actually introduced a long-lost son that Nick Fury has, mm. um, who is black. Mm-hmm. And um, he found out later in life that he's actually Nick Fury's son, so he took the name Nick Fury Jr. Hmm. And that is who he is bald, and he has a beard, and he looks like Sam Jackson. Yeah. And they just wrote out the original Nick Fury. Yeah. And the the funny part about this, uh, at least to me, is that I was reading an old comic, and and my my kids come up to me, and my second he he's he's like, "Who's that?" And he's pointing to Nick Fury, the white Nick Fury in the comics, 
in the comic. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's that's Nick Fury. And he's like, that's not Nick Fury. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's actually Nick Fury's dad. Oh, okay. And that was enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Okay. And did David yeah. Hasselhoff play and, him once? David Hasselhoff played him in a TV movie written by David Goyer. Wow. Yeah, and it is garbage. <laughs> It is an objectively terrible piece of crap. Uh-huh. So uh, we we did not miss out on some great uh, uh, cinematic masterpiece. It aired on Fox, I think, once, and that was the oh, end of it. Wow. Okay. After that, Alien yeah. Autopsy. Yeah. Exactly. It was a it was a, a double yeah. feature. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian, that was Iron Man. Yeah, man, that was fun. Wow, we just talked through that entire movie. We talked through the beginning of the MCU. Yeah. So, uh, folks, we hope you enjoyed listening to this track. We certainly had a fun time uh, reminiscing, uh, going back to our own experience, God, just 10 years ago uh, as this whole thing started. So so hopefully this provided a fun little lead-up uh, as as you uh, get ready to watch Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. I, I appreciated hearing so, uh, you share, like you say, you got all this insight into the comics and whatnot. It's kind of cool hearing all about it. Well, oh, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully you found it beneficial. You know, certainly it, it was coming off the top of my head. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, as we wrap the, wrap up this track, like I mentioned uh, up top, we've got a lot of fun tracks coming up, including in just a few weeks, uh, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Oh man, so get ready! Ear, keep an ear out for that one. We'll we'll try to be kind, right? What oh sure. <laughs> we <laughs> said that going I'm into. Just gonna say. <laughs> We we had good intentions going into the Phantom yeah. Menace, so so fingers crossed, yeah. right? Uh, but if you have any questions or comments for us, please send them our way, facebook.com slash moviefilmpodcast or email us at moviefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at my website, zackyscorner.com. That's Z-A-K-I-S corner. That's also my Twitter, so feel free to message me and whatnot. And, of course, Brian's work can be seen via Puppy Dog Pals on Disney Junior, right, Brian? Yeah. True enough. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> it is late, so we're going to pack this commentary track in, but uh, we will be back with our regular show soon. We'll be talking Avengers Infinity War, and the summer begins in earnest there. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Welcome, friends. It's the Movie Boom Podcast. Podcast, enjoy the show. Zachy and-